Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast presented to you by Texas Beat. I am Connor O'Gara. Well, I sort of got cold taked and I sort of didn't get cold taked on the Dan Enos thing. Um, what? Okay, so I'll, I'll let you rule on this here. Arkansas offensive coordinator fired Sunday. Obviously, by now, you're listening to this on Thursday morning. Whenever you're listening to this, you already know that information. We recorded this pod, the recap pod, before that happened. And I think we kind of got out ahead of it. I, I said he's a goner, right? Like, that was literally, yeah. There were, we were like, said, someone is getting fired and then stared at Dan. <laughs> yeah. Like, we knew he was gone. There, I said there was no world in which he was going to come back next year. Wouldn't be surprised if this is decided even before that last Saturday of the regular season. So I didn't get, I don't really feel like we got cold taked on that. And I know we've made a lot of that in the past about how we record and then something instantly happens right afterwards. And we're like, wow, great. Pod isn't even published yet. And we're going to sound like dated idiots. So I don't really feel bad about that. I don't. But Fred got me. Fred, by the way, <laughs> runs old takes exposed. Florida grad. Mm-hmm. Had him on the show. Um, yeah, I got cold taked because my tweet about Danny Nose saying that KJ was in good hands, talking about what he did as Alabama's quarterback's coach with Jalen Hurts, developing him, how good Tua was, really for the majority of that 2018 season, uh, what he did with you know Tua's younger brother, Talia Tungabaloa at Maryland. And man, um, yeah, it's been a minute. It's been a minute since I felt that dumb, that wrong about a take. I think that might've been my worst preseason take was saying that Danny Nose was just gonna work out so unbelievably well and then he got eight games. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the old uh, the Jimbo with and without Jameis. It's like the Dan Enos with and without a quarterback with the name Tungo Valoa. Yeah, <laughs> it feels like. And like I said, like I kind of mentioned it last time, but you know, there was a lot of love on SDS for him uh, when he was at Arkansas the first time that uh, I I feel like I bought into. I, I was one of those like, oh, the X's and O's guys love him. You know what I'm saying? So um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny when a school hires makes a mistake in hiring the same guy twice, like make two different mistakes to the same guy, you tend to think, what don't we know here? Cause obviously they know they just hired him. I mean, was Hunter Yershek there for like Bert, like 2015, 16? No, that would have been before his time, but this was, yeah. So it, it's tough though, because Yershek's not making that hire. He's signing off on that hire. That's a Pittman decision. Right. hundred percent right. a Pittman decision. And, you know, we had Pittman on the show literally tell us the outline for what went into that when Kendall Bryles went through that flirtation period. Are you going to leave for TCU? Are you not going to leave for TCU? And Pittman had Dan Enos ready to go. And that was locked and loaded. And they announced the Enos hire before TCU even announced announced the Bryles hire, which was crazy because that type of thing never happens. And for it to work out the way that it has, uh, obviously, that is one that Sam Pittman is – could be his undoing. It, it really could be. Along those lines, I wanted to update this because I realized slight. I need. I needed to to correct myself slightly here because I've been talking about these Sam Pittman contract figures a lot, and oh, I did man. not. Is want it to Iowa mistake. Notebook time? It's not quite Iowa Notebook time, but we we needed to to, to get on the record because I, I was incorrect in 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 one key thing 
about that performance-based buyout that I wanted to make sure that the listeners of the show are fully aware of. If you give a crap about any of this stuff, even if you're not an Arkansas fan, you just think it's interesting, whatever. So we're going to get a little bit nerdy. So stay with me on this. Before we get to the rest of the pod, week nine, by the way, we're going to run through all the games. Chris Doring is going to join us to talk all things cocktail party. We've got Lad of the Week. Spoiler alert, mine is going to be Michigan-related, sort of. We'll get there, Connor Stallions. You're not getting off the hook that easy. Um, so... We're going to, and my latter week is not Connor Stallions, but it is Michigan related. So we will get to all that stuff. I, I promise. I realize there's a lot of Arkansas talk at the top. But what I wanted to update the people on, Matt Hayes pointed out something that I overlooked. And I know I am not over, oh, I am not alone in overlooking this. The performance based buyout for Sam Pittman, I had previously said that it is his overall record at Arkansas that matters. He gets 75% of the remaining money as long as he is at least 500 or better since his arrival and 50% of the remaining buyout if his overall record is a losing record. The slight correction is that Hunter Juracek excluded 2020 from when Arkansas was three and seven, which that might frustrate Arkansas fans. But if you think about, you know, what Sam Pittman inherited from Chad Morris, the, the all ICC schedule, pandemic stuff, look, SEC team that had they, they were a team that had won a C game in over a thousand days. Okay, Every, everybody remembers what that was like and how much of an uphill climb it felt like it was going to be for Sam Pittman. So what does that mean? Pittman's, Another person said that twenty twenty doesn't count. Tremendous. Twenty twenty count. Arkansas. You know what? I think Arkansas fans take a lot of pride in a three and seven record that they had that year because of what they were up against. And how low those expectations were. Like that was actually, that that will not be remembered as a great Arkansas season in the 21st century. But there was a lot of pride in what was established. In the previous season. Hey, they got better that year. All right. Better than two previous seasons. Better than three previous seasons, in my opinion. Uh, Final year of Burt, for sure. Pittman's current overall record, excluding 2020, is 18 and 16. All he has to do. The rest of the regular season, which has four more games, all he has to do is win one game and he will be at 500 or better. He would be at 500. His record would be, you know, 19 and 19 if he went one and three down the stretch. Again, FIU is still on the schedule. So one would think we don't, we do not discount the great abilities of friend of the program, Mike McIntyre. We don't do that on this podcast. We are Mike McIntyre respecters, but favorable matchup nonetheless. If they lose the next three, and if that FIU loss does happen, my guess is that Pittman would be fired before that Mizzou game. Oh, really? Yeah, that's the lead here is all he has to do is beat FIU. <laughs> going 0-4 would equate to a loss to not only Florida, Auburn, Mizzou, but also FIU. So as funny as you, what you just said is so accurate. It's like if you're rooting for Sam Pittman to get fired, you're actually like, you have losses that just got taken off the board. Right. So the, and, and where that is, I don't think it's FIU is going to make or break his job, but right. in terms of the buyout, that's the significant part of it. It is actually at 16.575 million. If he is at 500 or better, if he is below that mark at the time of the firing, it is 11.05 million. So it's still, again, like That's a difference like, of about like yeah. 5 million bucks. We're, we're, it wasn't like we were way off on our figures or anything like that. But the record with excluding 2020 is the big takeaway that we needed to be reminded of this week, especially as this discussion heats up. And I know Arkansas is on by, so this feels probably like a bit of a stray after the, the weekend that was where they just took it on the chin from everybody. 
but you are now aware of what these figures are and what could prevent Arkansas from having to pay that 16 and a half million bucks as opposed to the 11 million bucks and change essentially is what it'll come down to be. Okay. We're clear on that though. Everybody's good. We're good. We can talk about some actual football instead of coaches getting fired, which is not my favorite thing in the world, but we got to do it. It's part of the job. Is there a Walmart rollback savings sticker on Sam Pittman's contract? You know, there's not, there's not. And you know what, in this day and age, I, I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people are just numb to buyouts anyways. It's not their money. It's not the student's money. It's rich people paying for buyouts. So, mm-hmm. you know what? I realize that it's not a great sign for the future of the sport, but they're inevitable. And we're going to see some ridiculous, ridiculous figures that are agreed to be paid in the coming years with where buyouts currently stand. Maybe paying Sam Pittman 16 million bucks, 16 and a half million bucks is going to be that next ridiculous figure in the SEC. Yes. And the only reason I was saying that is because like Walmart's from Arkansas. I wasn't calling him a Walmart coach. I want to be clear. <laughs> True. Got a whole lot of Walmart all over that stadium. A yeah. whole lot of Walmart. Yeah. All right. South Carolina, Texas A&M. Texas A&M, two touchdown favorite, 14 points. They are favored at home coming off the bye. The over-under I have, Will, is 0.5 A&M offensive touchdowns in the second half. <sighs> A&M fans ain't going to like this one. <laughs> You're not going to like this one. The last time that A&M scored an offensive touchdown in the second half was week four against Auburn. Let me repeat that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the last time that Texas A&M scored an offensive touchdown in the second half was week four against Auburn. If you recall, the interception return and the punt return scores were the second half touchdowns against Arkansas. Mm-hmm. You had one field goal against Bama. You had one field goal against Tennessee. You had a bye week. You also had two blown halftime leads sandwiched in there. Offensive touchdown in the second half probably would have been good, would have been ideal against Bama and Tennessee, but that is something that they're searching for. It's been a while. It's been a minute. Long time to go without an offensive touchdown. Five weeks in the second half. That's what we're talking about, just the second half. If that continues against South Carolina, I promise you, I promise you, I will get on these airways on Sunday and I will blast a certain Robert Patrick Petrino. I will. I would argue that Jimbo insisting on not going forward on fourth and fourth and anything. short. Anything. Yeah. Fourth and anything. <laughs> I think that's got something to do with it. But you know what? We can't say that it, that is entirely responsible. They've got to figure out some better ways to be able to protect Max Johnson so that he's just not a, a sitting duck back there. That's what it's kind of felt like in these losses. The good news for AM, according to Jimbo, those three defensive starters who went down against Tennessee all have a shot to play against South Carolina. And that is a really bad sign for that South Carolina offensive line that is depleted and wasn't very good when it was healthy, as we've talked about a lot on this show. Edron Cooper, he has reportedly just been licking his lips all week. It's kind of weird. He's just sitting there in class like, Edron, are you licking your lips right now? He's like, yeah, I'm just thinking about that South Carolina offensive line. Not really, but if we found that out, it wouldn't be a surprise. I don't blame him. I would be too. He should feast on Saturday. He really should. I'm going to call my shot. I'm going to say A&M gets a defensive touchdown in this game. Maybe it's scoop and score, uh, interception, pick six, something like that. I think that's going to happen. Might even happen in the first quarter. could see that as they're still trying to figure out what that offensive line rotation is going to look like. We don't know if Leggett, Brown are going to be healthy enough to go for South Carolina. 
Still no Juice Wells. Thoughts and prayers, Spencer Rattler. It's been the story yeah. of the season, man. It's, ugh, it's bad. Um, A&M is tied for first in power five and tackles for loss. They are going to live in that backfield. I think they're going to get a ton of, a ton of short fields for that A&M offense. And even if it isn't particularly good, and even if, dare I say, they struggle to score a second half offensive touchdown in this game, maybe they only get one. Um, I still think that they should cruise in this one. I do. It's possible that we see a desperate South Carolina team show up and fight. But I think a healthier AM team just rolls in this one. I'm going Aggies big, 38 to 10. Real big. I, I usually don't give that lopsided of predictions in game like the, in a game like this, but I'm, I would double up on that spread. And part of me is admittedly thinking about that time that South Carolina had like 12 yards of offense through three quarters, the only time that Shane Beamer has been to College Station. But yeah, I think this one gets away from, from South Carolina. If South Carolina loses this, they would have to win out to make a bowl game. That would be two and six, depending on how banged up they are. I won't rule that out yet. I won't. And I know I'm dumb. And people are saying, Connor, <laughs> you're an idiot. Where'd that come from, man? Look, all four of their final games are at home, Will. It's Jacksonville mm-hmm. State, Vandy, Kentucky, and a three-loss Clemson team that I think has at least one more loss in them before they get to that regular season finale. So, oh, no. We could That's get like kind of. <laughs> oh no! I mean, just saying, it, they could be favored in those three games. They should be favored in those three games leading up to leading up to Clemson. Kentucky fans are saying, "How how could South Carolina possibly be favored? They've only won two games." I don't know, Kentucky fans. I don't know if you're in a position to be favored on the road against anybody. Uh, not named Vandy in the SEC right now. So that's how I think that plays out. But as for Kentucky this one, this would not be right now. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're not boisterous. They're not boisterous. And I've got some Kentucky fans in my life. Obviously, my sister-in-law is, is a big Kentucky fan. Um, but look, this uh, this has not worked out. But we're not talking about we'll, – we'll, we'll save the Kentucky yeah, we'll discussion for, for a little bit. How do you see this playing out? Do you think there's any chance South Carolina goes on the road and, and hangs around for 60 minutes against A&M? I'm right there with you. It's like as much as I want to bet on, you know, Beamer ball and this guy, like the whole roller coaster we joke about with him finally like getting to the top and being a positive and, you know, everybody buying in because he's a guy that, you know, is, is pretty likable uh, for his team, at least. He's pretty polarizing outside of that. But the locker room has often, you know, really been on inside. But to your point, it's like they just don't have the Jimmys and Joes. I mean, even against A&M, who has struggled and is on a backup quarterback, it's like, well, they still have four and five stars. They still have this great defense and this, you know, great defensive line. Talking about Adrian Cooper, like I, I just think that they don't, like I said, they don't have the Jimmys and Joes, the guys that would be a problem. Like they can't even make them pay the way that Alabama did with the, uh, <laughs> with our boy on uh, our boy Burton on Chappelle's show out there getting uh, two hundred fifty. I don't think they even have a receiver that could exploit exploit that the way that you know Burton did because at that point it's like yeah, if you had to get. And or Wells, you know what I'm saying? You 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 actually could do something. All you need is one receiver to beat A&M. It'd be a much better matchup, Will. It'd be a yeah. much better matchup if they had those two guys out there with knowing where AM has struggled when Literally. they've lost those games. But unfortunately, even if Leggett's out there, I don't even think that you could bank on him being at full strength. Literally. It's like, yeah, it's like you only need one receiver to beat A&M. They started with two really good ones. They now have pretty much zero. And not to like, you know, dump on them, but it's just like 
injuries are the story of this. You know, they started off as not a great football team. Um, they got closer to beating Georgia than lots of teams on their schedule. I think we kind of saw the best version of that South Carolina team in Sanford Stadium for a half. Um, and those programs have gone complete opposite directions since then. And I, I think this is, we've talked about it as a little bit of a lost season. I, I think that as strange as it is, I think they're going to be fighting for bowl eligibility all the way down the stretch, even though they're about to be remain a two-loss team this deep in the schedule. Um, to win yeah, team this late, yeah. What's two up? win team, two win team, not a two loss. Team, oh yeah, yeah, that would be a completely. They'd be they'd be yeah. singing praises right now. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be a two a two win team this deep in the schedule, right? Like that, that's so crazy that we could be talking about that, but we kind yeah. of will be, and it might even be up to Clemson. So yeah, it's just it's a And M as a as a program as a pretty like a high floor that we've seen under Jimbo. We saw they were pretty bad last year, but. If you just kind of get those guys out there and get them to put their hands up, you can kind of win about seven or eight games, and that's what look what this A and M team looks like this year. I think A and M could play a B minus game and win this one by yeah by by a couple scores. I, I do. I, I don't think they need to be perfect offensively. I think they are. They have enough of those Jimmys and Joes on that defensive front to be able to make this just a really really tough game and a reminder that South Carolina just needs so much help up front and you know. I, even though I just said South Carolina still could have a path to a bowl game with the way that schedule finishes out all these home games, you would still not feel great coming away from this as a South Carolina fan. If you're looking up and A&M's got seven sacks and 12 TFLs and you're never particularly close. Uh, this could be another one of those days for the Gamecocks. Been too many of those this year. Way too Potential many. Potential Nick Harbor breakout game though. Can't think his praises enough. That guy's going to be nasty. I, you know what? That's that's the way that you need to approach this South Carolina fans. If you're not going to a bowl game, just let Nick Harbor be nasty. Let, let me, that guy do awesome things. Let Spencer Rattler continue to up his NFL draft stock so that nobody can say anymore, hey, you realize in the modern era of the NFL draft since they switched this whole thing to seven rounds that South Carolina has never had a quarterback drafted? Like, Okay, now you're being me. That's okay. That's <laughs> I've said that before, though, so I, South Carolina fans know. They, they all know. They know. Um, but, yeah, this uh, this feels like another long day for the Gamecocks. Okay, it might be a long day if you have to watch this game. Mississippi State and Auburn. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Do you think I was getting a Vandy Ole Miss? <laughs> no, we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, Auburn's a six-and-a-half-point favorite. The over-under I have is 105 Auburn passing yards. I know we talk about this a lot, Will. I know we do. And I'm, I'm wondering if I'm talking about it too much. Man, you know what? No, no. It's historically bad. It's historically bad. That is what Auburn is averaging against SEC competition. 105 passing yards. That would be the worst mark of any SEC team in the last 15 years. Even 2019 Kentucky, who put a receiver at quarterback midseason, they still averaged 114 and a half passing yards per SEC game, Will. They were just around me a better offense, too. I mean, honestly, is it particularly close? <laughs> Way more fun to watch Lynn Bowden do his thing than watching this Auburn offense. Way more yeah. fun. I wrote earlier in the week, the 10 things I'd rather do than watch Auburn attempt a forward pass. I, I cut it off at 10. Auburn fans, this could have been a lot worse. I could have, I could have gone to 100. I could have gone to 105. That would have been a fitting number considering uh, the, the passing yards numbers against SEC competition. Auburn is 126 in FBS in total pass attempts but it is also in the bottom 25 in terms of most sack teams in the country against power five competition. They're giving up one sack for every six pass attempts. That is it's hard to be that bad. You almost act, have to actually try. 
Yes, you are playing the 85 Bears every game. Like that's <laughs> I don't get, I I don't get how that's possible. At some point there is a level of pride that has to set in. And and even just throwing it away. You you should just start throwing it away if you're Peyton Thorne. I mean, just just take the intentional grounding to a certain extent. I mean, my god. Um I'm not advocating for that, but it can't be a whole lot worse than what we've seen so far. I can close my eyes and picture Bookie Watson just repeatedly getting to Peyton Thorne play after play. If he has three sacks in this one, I will not be surprised. He leads the SEC in sacks right now. Lost in the shuffle of Mississippi State's defense, fueling that win in Arkansas, was the offense being so unbelievably disappointing. And it's why this game is not one that a whole lot of people are going to be dialed into. I'll just say that right now. And that's not just a Will Rogers thing. Um, I didn't think that they were particularly effective. I mean, they scored seven points. They they weren't very effective with Mike Wright and a banged up Woody Marks, who I'm assuming he's just going to be banged up the rest of the way. I don't know if every single game he's going to have a rod sucked to his hamstring the like the way that he did in the Arkansas game. I I'm going to have to get used to that. I guess I don't know. They're averaging 17 points per game against SEC competition. That's the worst. That's that's even worse than Auburn, which hard to do. Really, really hard to do. Six and a half, it feels like a lot of respect shown to an Auburn offense that doesn't deserve it to say that Auburn is a six and a half point favorite. But I'm going to give Auburn that respect. I'm not sure that there's going to be 200 passing yards combined in this game. Could come short of that. We really could. That's what I probably should have set the over-under at. Um, but I do think that Auburn's ground game should be effective enough to take advantage of the home crowd, maybe some short fields, I am reluctantly taking Auburn, even though the expectation is this is going to be really, really low scoring. The over-under is 43 and a half. It's not quite at Big Ten West levels, but um, yeah, it's it's going to be bad. I'll take Auburn to, to barely cover and win like a, I don't know, 17 to 7 game. God, that is, that is so gross. <laughs> I mean, you're right. Like, dude, if you had picked that last game to be 7 to 3, do you know how people laughed at you? You know how impossible that sounds in 2023, and yet. <laughs> okay, like, so uh, go go ahead. No, fire away. Um, yeah, I mean, I just so first off, Will Rogers. I was getting uncertainty when I said he's not going to play. Uh, I look if he's not playing coming off of the bye week. I I won't rule it out. I I don't know definitively just yet as we sit here and record on Wednesday, but I'd be surprised if he's out there. I would expect this to be a multi week deal. Yeah, I mean, this is tough. I mean, we really thought it couldn't get worse than Arkansas and the state. And this might be worse just simply because of Auburn's like talent and their defense is pretty good and they have Hugh Freeze. And it's like, I I just feel like this Auburn team is like, they should win this one pretty convincingly, but they should have won last week too. They really should have. I mean, they had Ole Miss like tied through like three quarters and they just didn't want to play offense. So it's like, I will say this. There was a moment in that Arkansas Mississippi State game where I saw the the formation, the one that made me love Zach Arnett, the the Mississippi State's former defensive coordinator who is now their head coach. It was the old spaceship three three five, as I used mm. to call it. It was the cover three out of like a stack three three five, where you literally have three down linemen, three linebackers, five DBs, kind of in like a an umbrella. And they were so crisp in their sets. It was on that final drive that Arkansas had. And I'm like, they're not scoring here. And brother, did they not come close? It was like, that defense looks so organized, so on the same page. Like, wish that guy could be my defensive coordinator. Um, But like, I, I feel like Mississippi State's 
defense is significantly better than Auburn's right now because Auburn just keeps getting the wind taken out of their sails. Like there's only so many times you can just get punched in the mouth and have to keep getting back out there, which is what happens to them where, you know, their PFF grades are suffering, their draft doc is suffering because they won't attempt a forward pass. Offense is stuck in, you know, uh, 1932. And so, yeah, I, I weirdly feel like Mississippi State should have an advantage here if Will Rogers plays, but the fact that they're also on a backup quarterback is just like, so I actually think I'm going to take Auburn in a close one, but I will say like if Will Rogers is up and down as he has been within this game, I would certainly take Mississippi State. It's just the lack of, I mean, the quarterback matchup shouldn't be close because of what we know about Will Rogers, but now it's like, maybe they're worse at that too. I don't know. Auburn defensively has been perfectly fine. They, yeah, they're so, they just give up points because they're on the field all game. It drives me yeah. insane. It's like, how can, how can you not, you know, you see this group that, that just, you're like offense, give us, give us a first down. Just give us one first down in the strike. Can we, can we just a rushing attempt? That's not a sack, please. Anything, anything so that we don't have to be on the field for 40 minutes. This, this game uh, would be a welcome sight, but they have not shown that they can be capable of doing that. Well, I think we need to ask the question. Okay. I don't throw this around lightly. I, I, I don't. And we've been doing this podcast for, this is my, my seventh year of doing this show, and I, I don't know that I've ever brought this up before as it relates to this matchup, but I think given all the, the things that oh, we no. just outlined, about, I know you know where I'm going. All the things we just outlined about these offenses. <laughs> yeah. Could three to two happen again? It's been 15 years. I went back, I looked at the box score, I watched all two highlights from this game. Um, Mississippi State had 116 yards of offense. It was 0 for 14 on fourth down, or 0 for 14 on third down, 0 for 3 on fourth down. Amazing. Because what do you do when you're 0 for 11 on third down? Go for it! This game, oh. you know, Mark, uh, Mark Titus is, is like the club trillion, like yeah. the, the just the zeros across the board, the Tony Snell stat line. Mississippi yep. State's offense is that in this game. It is yep. 100, it, it is the the imperfect game the most imperfect game of offensive football ever like their only points via a holding call in the end zone to give them a safety they didn't even get a cool safety where they got a sack or something like that it was just a holding call i mean that is right it's just bad i'd play yeah it's unbelievable man Uh, who was the starter do you remember who the starter was for mississippi state i think that was like the lee slash dylan Farr era ah that's a good question you have to go look that was that was a period in time. That's one of those, like, he almost got it. Yeah. But anyway, um, so, yeah, I think um, uh, uh, I think that could that happen? I mean, again, it almost happened last week. I want to be clear. I'm still not sure how either of those teams last week scored a point. Um, Auburn, I mean, it's the cool thing about Auburn is you would think their rushing attack is good. But, again, Mississippi State's defense is good. And on the Mississippi State side, like I said, they got an injured quarterback and Marks is hurt. So, it's like you really have a battle of – yeah, I mean, of course, I'm sure this game will be 30 to 40 now because somebody will just – like, they'll just forget to tackle. But, yeah, I, I legitimately think these are the two worst offenses, especially without Will Rogers and without Marks. Even worse than last week, the, the record stayed for a week. That's the crazy part. It, it involved one of these teams that won the game. <laughs> if if this happens, if 3 to 2 happens, mm-hmm. that I think that would have to be an automatic it just meant more game for us to do. Mm-hmm. An end of season, it just meant more game. I went the the YouTube. <laughs> I, I just scrolled the YouTube comments for the the two minute highlight clip of this game. There's a comment in one of the YouTube videos that I watched where they said uh, this game was so pathetic. At one point, a dude went down with a neck injury, but the guy who drives the first aid cart was so bored that he left and he took the keys to the first aid cart with him. So it took 20 minutes to get someone to the injured player 
to get him off the field. That, that is, was probably the most gripping television of the night because it wasn't on television. You know what? Like th- these things, we're, we don't, we're not going to get that in 2023. Oh, this I, is Wesley Carroll. I don't even remember this guy. These are like two quarterbacks I barely remember. Chris Todd versus Wesley Ter- Carroll. Yeah. Wow. And Auburn, of course, was ranked number nine in this game. <laughs> Wait, were they really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't remember that part. Oh, gosh. That's that's really bad. Yeah. But yeah. We're, uh, I, I don't think we're going to get this. I don't think yeah. we're going to get this. Never say never. But prob- I'm hoping for probably it. I'll be not. honest. Yeah. <laughs> Just if, if you're watching this game, only watch for those reasons, unless you, of course, have a rooting interest or something in this game, or just don't bet on this game. Bet the, under, bet the under and watch the cocktail party. Maybe that's what you Yes. Bet. That's touch grass if you don't have another game to watch. Truly, go grass. enjoy your <laughs> If you yes. want to bet on this game. <laughs> Seriously. All right. Tennessee and Kentucky. Tennessee's a three and a half point favorite. The over under I have is 30.6 Kentucky points. That's not a real over under. That's a Connor over under. Yeah. It, it is what Tennessee has averaged their defense in the last five road games. That is not great. I had a lot of Tennessee fans who were not pleased with me pointing out. Oh, Tennessee how bad. fans. They were yeah. not pleased. I know. It's stunning. Ball Twitter is usually so nice, so kind. I got love for Tennessee fans. You know, look, I, I said the entire offseason last year, Tennessee's going to beat Georgia. I've gone out on a limb. I've praised Tendon Hooker and, and the Josh Heupel offense plenty of time. But, you know, every once in a while, you got to you gotta let the people know about something that's significant. And I thought that was significant. That's the best part of that. We were both so high on them last year. We were both like him. We made up a quote. We were hen dogs about how much we love their quarterback. We were like, pick. we p- both picked them against Georgia, and they lost that game. And yet still, they are mad at us. And it's like, bro, what do you want me to do? Not laugh at that Bama game? Like, you got to do this yourself, brother. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> when you get down scored 27 to nothing in the second half of a game that you're leading by double digits at halftime, yeah, that's going to happen. You're going to take your shots. It's, it's just reality. I pointed out that after Tennessee was ranked number one in that first playoff poll, they have just not been good in these true road games. One in four in those spots, the lone win came against Vandy, allowed, again, 30.6 points per game, allowed five and a half yards per play, penalized an average of eight times for 57 yards. Actually, the Bama game was kind of par for the course with what they've been in terms of discipline overall, and I realized there were some penalties that they were frustrated by, but you get what I'm saying. All four of those That's losses. That's the Josh away. That happened in the Florida game, too. Yeah. Oh, we said the same things after the Florida game. They were even less disciplined against Florida. And again, the officiating mm-hmm. in that game, I know that there were calls there that I, I talked to. I hated that blindside block call in the Florida game, but there, there was, was a fight. The, the, yeah, there was a fight. <laughs> I hated it. That's all I'm talking about. The, the kicked snap. Like there were weird things that happened in that game, but still, obviously, like Tennessee fans, you can admit your team needs to be more disciplined on the road. And understanding right. that part of half of that, that, that rough skid, the, the four losses, we're talking about Bama and Georgia. Nobody goes into Bama and Georgia and wins. And, also, two of those games were when Tennessee was a favorite against South Carolina last year and against Florida this year. So you are not considered an elite SEC team unless you can win on the road. That's a very basic thing to say, but it's true. And it helps Tennessee in this game that the team that they're facing on the road just got smashed by three scores at home against Mizzou. That's the good news for Tennessee. Not sure that the bye week is going to help that Kentucky passing game. I think Kentucky's going to need its passing game in this one. I realize Kentucky ideally would just come out and have the Florida approach. Ray Davis, 280 rushing yards. Sure. Dial that one up. Let's do the Ray Davis goes off play. Yeah, that would work. Mm -hmm. That would work really well. Ideally, 
I'm interested in how Tennessee's front responds. They're coming off a physical game. Obviously, the wheels fell off in the second half against Bama. They couldn't stop the bleeding. It's still a top 25 run defense, though. And I fully expect they are going to get after Devin Leary. I, I, I think the Kentucky offensive line has improved. I don't really trust Devin Leary in the pocket right now with where he's at unless they're getting designed rollouts for him um, and it's really high percentage throws. I think he's going to be a sitting duck at times. I think this is a get right spot for Tennessee. I do. And I know I just talked about the road woes and all that stuff. I, 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 I don't build you up to bring you down. I bring you down to build you up. That's the way that we do it on this podcast. Josh Heupel off a regular season loss, by the way, and you probably know this too, 12 and two. It's pretty good. That's including UCF. That's why. That's why I bring that up. Yeah, I, I actually was going to have that same stat. We got one brain cell today. Yeah, I'm right there with you. As much as the, uh, as much as this feels like a get right game for Kentucky, I just like this is one of those classic games, kind of like A um, and M South Carolina, where it's like, well, if this game, like, like I'm sure I'm going to say this, if. A&M, South Carolina, was in South Carolina, I would give South Carolina way more of a chance. But it's an A&M, so it almost doesn't matter. With this, it's like, if this game was in uh, Tennessee, or if this was flipped, I'd be like, oh, this is an easy Tennessee dub. But this is kind of one of those where I'm like, no, I actually think I think uh, Kentucky loses this one at home. Like, I think that this is, at this point, Kentucky's starting to do that thing again, Connor, where they just kind of down the stretch, just forget how to play football. And it's, it's kind of been a little bit of a trend that they've had where they started off really hot, they get everybody's expectations up. They almost win a big game. You know what I'm saying? And then and this year they beat Florida badly. Let's not pretend that didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, and then they have the Mizzou game. And then they have, you know what I'm saying? They kind of start to like, and, and the issue with this is, you know, it's like, okay, as much as we love Ray Davis and like he's awesome, their offense has just never found their rhythm despite having probably the best running back in the SEC. Uh, they still can't build on that, which is insane. And schematically they've been fine, I think. Uh they just got a dude who like is what Saints Twitter thinks Derek Carr is. <laughs> it's just I don't know how to better explain it. It's like you see it, it looks fine, and it's suddenly like, oh my god, it's fourth and ten. What have we done here? Uh, and so yeah, I think that's your point. Like the Tennessee run defense, the Tennessee pass rush has been awesome. I don't think that just because they got Jace McClelland and they got Bama means that they're trash now. Um, whereas I think that Kentucky has kind of shown that you know their strength has been their run game, their offensive line, but both of those are kind of like. Um, chesty like you have to have a little bit of um bde to to play with a good run defense i didn't think we were getting a bde reference on this podcast today but here we are to run the ball as effectively as kentucky has you need to put your head down and push and i think that where they're at mentally right now it's pretty hard to envision a performance like they had against florida which is just push 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 especially against that tennessee run defense which appears to be kind of what we thought florida's was which is a really, really good run defense, a really good front four that just kind of, like I said, uh, Pat was a victim of a Jason McClellan, Jalen Milrow game. And so I don't see even a Jalen Milrow who can escape pressure. Uh, and and as much as like, I think Davis is a little bit better than McClellan, as much as I love McClellan, I think it's Kentucky talent versus Bama talent. So I, I think that those guys, um, this is like we talked about off of a loss, how Hypo has always kind of like sold that hopium a little bit. And where Stoops at, at this point of the year, I mean, I want to see his record over like these games. You know what I'm saying? Like probably would that be games like six to nine. It feels like every year we're having this conversation about like get it back on track, Stoops, get it back on track. And I feel like Tennessee, especially with Bazooka Joe figuring out he can run people over, <laughs> it's a pretty tough thing to be. So they don't have like, like 
Kentucky still has a decent defensive uh, backfield, not that we saw it against Georgia, but it doesn't really matter because it's not like Tennessee has some great receiving threat outside of Squirrel White. Like, they're, they're kind of just moving the ball in these weird ways. It's not like they have, like, a consistent way they're doing it. So I don't think shutting down one receiver is really going to help them either. This, this Kentucky team that has been, I think, pretty maddening because even in the midst of that favorable schedule, we talked about how it didn't look particularly good against right. some of those teams. And even against Vandy, yeah, it was great that they had the defensive scores that they had, but there were still just issues with that offense. It just did not feel very fluid outside of Ray Davis breaking off a big run. They can keep making a big time play in the end zone. They're bottom 15 in the country in penalty yards. I mean, that is, that is not a Mark Stoops identity. They were top 15 in the country last year. They were, they were one of the least penalized teams in the country and with an offense have, that like couldn't snap the football. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good point. With a group that like is constantly probably just holding left and right because that's Literally. all they could probably do. <laughs> and this group, despite having more expectations, I don't want to say more expectations than last year because it is some good expectations last year too. But man, like it is just so startling to see the amount of issues that a Stoops coach team has this late into the season. And I think that Tennessee is ultimately able to put them in some of those tough spots. Maybe we see some of those tough penalties that put them behind the sticks and we get more, you know, second in, in 19 because of a holding penalty or something. And you don't, you don't really want Devin Leary in those spots right now. I think he'd be a sitting duck back there. James Pierce, I'm going to keep hyping that guy up because he's been so good for Tennessee this year. I'm going to go 27-17 Tennessee wins. And Kentucky is unable to stop the bleeding, even at home, at night, off of the bye week. Yep, that's totally agree. Man, that's telling. All right, Vandy, Ole Miss. Ole Miss, number 12 team in the country, 24.5-point favorite. The over-under I have for this one is 122 Quinshawn Judkins rushing yards. Oh, this he feels is, back. That's the one good story of a guy that got healthy throughout the year instead of just getting hit over and over again. Happy to see him looking good. Yeah, and we we questioned that. We talked a lot about it. What 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 is this guy going to be down the stretch if if he's struggling and he doesn't look like himself early on? Can he use that bye week to his advantage? I, I think that he has kind of gotten right either that or he's just figured out how to play through some pain because he's looked great these last three games. That is his average in those contests. Had at least one run of 20 yards in all three of those games after he had issues where it just felt like those big plays weren't there, whether that was offensive line, whether that was him pressing, him playing through injury, whatever it was, it just was not there. I think the offensive line is getting better. I think Vandy very likely without its best player overall, C.J. Taylor, this is a feast matchup for Quinchon Judkins. Worth noting, and the reason why I didn't put it even higher than 122, Judkins had his worst game of his career against Vandy last year. We we forget that because, and that's just in terms of scrimmage yards. He only had 60 scrimmage yards in this game last year. It was also a weird game because Ole Miss fell behind. They were they were down 10 late in the first half. And yep. then they, they had this realization, oh my God, nobody's going to cover Jonathan Mingo? Let's just throw him the ball every single time. 70-yard touchdown. This, this is a good plan. Talk about sticking to the blueprint. That is the blueprint. That worked out. Didn't necessarily need a whole lot of Judkins in the second half. No Jonathan Mingo this time around. Judkins is still there. I'm going to assume that he's going to run wild against a very depleted Vandy defense that has allowed six yards per carry, 200, 201 rushing yards on average against SEC competition. 
It's been bad for Clark Lee's defense in year three. It's been really, really bad. Losing here will officially eliminate them from, from a bowl berth. And I, I am way, way off of my preseason prediction. I know. I, I said in the Crystal Ball Series, this is my biggest upset. I'm going to have Vandy going into Oxford and beating Ole Miss. Um, no, I'm going so far away from that that I'm going to say that Ole Miss wins by 35. They cover 49 to 14. Ole Miss. Yeesh. Yeah, I mean, to your point, I think Jackson Dart's best quality as a quarterback is seeing when no one is covering a receiver. It's like he could always just tell. He's it's like, a good point. Yeah. <laughs> like he throws the ball before they stop covering him. And then you look and you're like, this guy's wide open. How did this happen? That's exactly what happened against Vandy last year. Exactly what's happening against LSU for two years. They started off just like that uh, last year. And it's like, I if you're going to just not cover the receivers, you're going to have a really tough day. If you're going to like play physical, cover the receivers, you can get in the back and forth game like Auburn did. But again, like you talked about Clark Lee, it's like, Listen, man, there's, there's a home for you here at LSU football. Just like you know. Just come home. Come join me. You got extended anyway. through 2029. They're not going to get know, off that kidding. contract anytime soon. But, yeah, it's – look, I don't think this is what they had in mind. I, I definitely don't. After last year, they were, they were so much more competitive. I mean, not just yeah. this game, but the fact that obviously they won two SEC games last year, two games that they weren't supposed to, and they just don't look like they have much of a chance. This feels like year zero type stuff that, that we're talking about here. And that is uh, – it's a tough sell. It's a really, really tough sell when you're trying to build it up and you're doing with the big construction, you know, beyond, you know, beyond the end zone, all that stuff and, and this massive renovation. Not good timing to have this going down right now. Yeah, I'm starting to see this trend and maybe I'm just like overthinking it, but it feels like a lot of these coaches that have come in and like with a big mess to clean up, like they've had a solid year one, their year two has been a little bit let down. Sonny Dykes is a great example of that. Um, and Lee might be right there. Part of it's like the portal era part, you know, and you kind of, you get a little bit of that false like hope when you get some transfers in. Not that Ben even necessarily did that. In fact, they had guys leave. Um, but like everybody like starts playing for the coach, starts playing hard, and then it feels like year two is now let, let down. Year where it used to be really linear, right? Like you bring in Nick Saban or Kirby Smart, and it would be they're bad for a year, and everyone's like, "These guys are fraud." And then year two, they're really good. Feels like almost the opposite now, where year one is like hopium, then year two is like maybe this guy does thing. I was kidding about Lee, obviously. I think he's a great fit at Vandy. He's obviously a friend there, and I think. I'm with you that I, I could see them being a team that upsets a team or two like they did last year every year, but just not this year. I'm right there with you. I mean, that line's 25 for a reason. I think that if you have a team with a defensive identity that just uh, can't cover anyone, it's kind of a problem. I'll say it. So, yeah, I think there's not much else going on here. I think Ole Miss is uh, just eats in this matchup. And without C.J. Taylor, yeah, just sorry. Nope, not going to happen. Depending on what happens in the top, could see Ole Miss in the top 10 of that first playoff ranking on Tuesday. Because in addition to the LSU win, the Tulane win, I know Michael Pratt wasn't playing in that game, but that's still aged pretty well because they only have one loss. And Tulane has looked the part when they've had Pratt out there. So, you know, I'm just saying the Ole Miss resume, definitely better than what I was expecting them to be at this point of the year. I think they're able to roll to an easy win. And they stay champions of Louisiana, man. I don't think we could definitively say that's that's on the table. I would I wouldn't go there. I'd still they probably, play ULL with LaTeX. Look, I, I'd still give LSU the, the the title for now, at least in my opinion. Oh yeah, maybe I'm in the minority. All right, let's talk cocktail. Well, Florida, Georgia, number one, Georgia, fourteen and a half point favorite. The over under I have is three Oscar Delp catches. Sounds low. Sounds low. It's also his career high, and his career high in receiving yards against SEC competition, 32 yards. And th that's, you know, that, that sounds like I'm, I'm dissing the guy and it's, it's not like it's, I'm not like trying to critique him because 
two thirds of that time that he's been playing on the football field at the college level was as the third tight end with Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington ahead of you on the depth chart. So obviously like understood there, nobody is, is hating on the kid, but now in this position, your tight end one Brock Bowers is out huge opportunity for Oscar Delp. A lot of eyes will be on him. I am fascinated in seeing how much Carson Beck trusts him. Will that be there? Will they have the anticipation routes? Is he going to sit down in zone coverage and we're going to see Beck find him to move the chains on third down? It's not fair to say Oscar Delp needs to live up to the Brock Bowers standard because I don't think anybody can. But in that offense, there's obviously a lot that a tight end needs to be able to do. And there is a tight end standard that needs to be met. This is why he put on that weight in the offseason. Because eventually he knew his time was coming. He was going to have to get up mm -hmm. to 245, something like that. You're not out there expected to only be a part of certain packages. You're, you're not just out there, oh, you're it's passing down stuff. Okay, obvious passing situation, you go in the game. Oh, it's obvious running situation, you're out there, you're in the game. You're expected to be out there every play. It doesn't mean that you're expected to take over the game in the second half like Bowers does, but it means that you're not taking plays off as a blocker. That, that's not really in the cards. I, I want to know, does Oscar Delp step up? And then can these transfer receivers, you bring in Dom Lovett, you bring in Ra Ra Thomas. It is really easy to forget that both of these guys were leading receivers on SEC teams last year. You didn't come to Georgia to be a leading receiver. You came to Georgia to be a significant contributor of a championship team. That's the goal. Right. Maybe get a little bit of NIL money, but you're doing what you can to try and be a part of something that's bigger than just racking up numbers, or at least I think that would be a motivation unless those guys were way misguided. This is a spot in which Kirby's very seldom use of the transfer portal could pay off. It really could. Lovett's coming off the best game of his career. He was great once Bowers went down in that bandy game. I love the concept that Bobo drew up for him near the goal line where they motion him into the slot and it's a little kind of a pick play that they got away with a little bit, but nice little concept, easy pitch and catch with Beck. More of that. Georgia needs more of that. I'm a little surprised he hasn't been more involved in the offense this year. That guy feasted on matchups in single coverage, and I would expect his role to increase now. I think it's taken a little bit for a guy like Rara Thomas to develop that chemistry with Carson Beck, but I think that's going to be on display in a game like this. I think Georgia's pass catchers step up in a bowerless world. I do, but I don't think Florida makes it easy on Carson Beck in a homecoming game. I still remember that video that Ben Murphy put out. It was, uh, I think it was local Jacksonville news. They put it out back in 2018 when Beck was still a recruit. And he admitted that he named Florida as a leader because he wanted a Georgia offer. And he kind of used Florida a little bit. And that, look, you don't hear a lot of kids admit to that some. I bet plenty of people do it, I'm sure. But hearing somebody come out and admit that, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Probably not going to be too great for him once he has to play Florida in terms of that public perception. Who knows how that's going to be in this game? You know, it depends, obviously. Wow, play a kid was playing the same game that coaches play. Oh, how terrible. What a bad young man. Oh, yeah. Co coaches will get a commitment from a four or five star guy and call up a three star and be like, hey, bye. But if, if, if a kid does it, it's bad. Okay. Right, coaches do it all the time with, with leverage leverage to try and you know get a job, like try and, try yeah. and get an extension to be able to stay where they are. James Franklin's never done that in his entire career at all. Um, or throw a deep pass. 
Yeah, that's that either. Uh, not since uh, not since our savior Trace McSorley has he thrown a deep pass. I I wonder if Carson Beck has his most important game of his career. Like I, I wonder if if in this spot with whatever what everybody's talking about with, without Bowers, can you step up? Georgia has won thirty five consecutive games in which it has scored twenty seven points. The last mm-hmm. time that they hit that mark and lost. Their last regular season loss, 2020 Florida, ironically enough. Mm-hmm. I think we could get a slow start from Georgia and then a big second half. I that that has been kind of the blueprint this year. I think Florida does a really nice job of controlling time of possession. They're getting ETN involved. It's Montreal Johnson as well. They're not turning the football over, but I think they maybe have like a missed fourth down conversion or they settle for three a couple of times. And in the second half, they really wish they had those points back or, oh, man, I wish we had gone for it on fourth down. I think Georgia wins a close one score game and holds on 27 to 20. So Florida covers Georgia wins. So is it I mean, Georgia could lose this game and beat Mizzou and still represent the East, right? So here's what's interesting about that. Yes, that is possible. It is worth noting, just in case Florida pulls this off. Gators would be in the driver's seat in the East. That's the that's the thing that that nobody is talking about right now because we're assuming that Georgia is going to is going to win this football game as a two touchdown favorite. I, nothing is a given in college football, but nobody's talking about the, the the possibility of Florida being in control in the East because this game and you still got to travel to LSU. You still got to travel to Mizzou. Gator fans, I would say, don't book any hotels to Atlanta just yet, but. Man, what a wild thought for this Florida team that has been left for dead at a couple different points of this season. Fire Billy after Utah, fire Billy after Kentucky. And here they are, potentially, if they can pull off an upset of this magnitude, going into November with control of these. I don't think that happens, but there would all of a sudden be a very different conversation. Florida would be in the top 15 in that first playoff ranking. Take that for what it is. I realize rankings early on, we forget about this stuff in the long term, but still, that is not a place that I thought they would even have as a possibility as of a few weeks ago. So keep that in mind. Things get real weird if Florida wins this game. Um, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> they would have to go, I mean, yeah, 2-0 at LSU and at Mizzou, and then they host FSU. <laughs> No, well, the FSU so, game doesn't uh, matter in, the, in that regard. It doesn't the, matter. For the conference so, standings, right. Because I was yeah. thinking about, well, uh, and, okay, so I asked you about the conference standings. You're right. You completely answered that question. I have now changed the subject to, I'm like, damn, I mean, if they beat Georgia, they do that stuff. They're dang near a playoff team. But I think to myself, like, well, yeah, either, you know. So, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the rest of the wins have been Vandy, uh, two wins, South Carolina by two, uh, Tennessee. Tennessee win beat them know. by 13, yeah. Yeah, no, 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 the Tennessee, I'm just going in reverse order. Uh, the Tennessee uh, win, yeah, it was a really good one, um, especially at the time. That was just, like I said, they, they got in Josh Eiffel's, they got in his jersey. That was so funny. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, I think that's probably why no one's talking about it, which is that the bulk of their schedule starts right now. Um, yeah. So I think that conversation probably starts if they beat Georgia, because even then, so say if Georgia beats Mizzou, right, and, I mean, there's their one loss. Like, if they lose to Florida and beat Mizzou, they're pretty much done. Whereas, I mean – would it be the weirdest thing in the world if Arkansas pulled it together and beat Florida? Probably not. Would it be the weirdest thing in the world for, I mean, is Arkansas really that much worse than South Carolina and South Carolina? Like, I feel like that's been spun as this massive W for the Florida program. Yeah. Like, that's not the right team. Stinks. But, but the <laughs> look, the difference is you're playing at the swamp. 
Oh, never mind. I mean, that's right, good point. That's Over. we're not talking about Florida having to go on the road to, to face Arkansas or something like that. Like that's to me, yeah. that's that's why I didn't even include that game there. We're we're talking about you know the games away from home. You still have to play Georgia away from home. You're still playing LSU in Death Valley. Yeah. And you're still playing Abbotsford. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I think that uh, the big question here is, you know, what do you think about Georgia's basically like gap discipline and ability, like their pass coverage? Let me put it to you like this. So when I say gap discipline, I say that's about. Uh, more of a line of scrimmage. But to beat this Florida team, you pretty much need to cover all their guys uh, for about five or six seconds every play. Um, what do you think about George's ability to do that? We're going to talk in the interview with 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 Doring about the development of Ricky Pearsall and so some good. of the spots. He's been great. He's been absolutely awesome mm-hmm. this year. If there is ever a team in which I would feel like, oh, you know what? Over-the-top coverage with a safety on Ricky Pearsall, I'm, I'm actually kind of okay with it. It's Georgia because they have Malachi Starks. Yeah. So I think that they have done some things. Like even if you look at that play that they had against Vandy, where it was it was just a total miscommunication on that touchdown right away, where they let a, a freshman run. Like it was it was a, a mix up in coverage. Hey, I've got this guy in zone coverage. I've got this guy. I can't remember who was on the outside. Was, was it Lasseter? Was it Bullard? I don't remember. Um, but it was just a total miscommunication. It's a little bit different than what we were talking about at this time last year where like late into November, where they, they looked like a team that had to figure things out with their past defense. And we we're, were like, is this going to prevent them from winning a national championship? I don't think you would say that about this group. I think they put the clamps on really, really well. And when they were getting off to that bad start against South Carolina, Juice Wells making a ridiculous play yards after the catch play. in space. Yeah. Unbelievable play. I mean, you saw that in person. It was like, it, they felt Lord. dead to right. They felt so stopped on that drive. And it was just a cut. Like two dudes bumped into each other. It was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So like while they don't have the game wreckers up front, I think that's my way of saying, I think their secondary can kind of handle that a little yeah. bit better. And we'll wait and see what this looks like with some of Florida's secondary receivers. If they get Wilson going, who's just been a revelation as a true freshman. Like we'll, we'll see what that looks like. Ricky Pearsall is going to get his. I'm now of the belief that you're not going to totally contain that guy. But I don't feel like that's going to be the thing that undoes Georgia. And I don't necessarily think that you can bank on them allowing 200 rushing yards and having a day that resembles what Auburn did as well. I I don't think that that's Mm -hmm. necessarily going to be the case. I think they've made those improvements containing Ray Davis the way that they did. So, yeah, I mean, I I don't necessarily see those holes in the defense, even if it's not an all-world group like the one that Florida has seen the last two years. Right. And and where I'm going with that too is like the way that Florida beats you. So Florida's kind of like a boa constrictor, right? They're a little bit similar to Utah in that way. And I would, okay, I'll, I'll get back around to that. But Florida, you know, it's about keeping the offense moving. It's about them getting, you know, two or three yards, two or three yards, boom, first down, boom, boom, boom. I'm not as worried about, you know, the Graham Mertz to Ricky Parasol downfield connection. I think that that should be probably fine for Georgia, but it's about giving up four or five yards, four or five yards, 10 yard run, da, 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 and then they're just knocking on the goal line. And the first, first quarter is halfway over and you're sitting down with your drink and you're like, huh? <laughs> that's that's why that's what Florida's MO has been. And that's why Mertz has been such a better fit than Anthony Richardson for this offense. Cause he com- uh, completes passes like the ball, he throws the ball and the receiver catches it and it's a five or six yard gain 79 percent um, of those passes he completes just saying they're gonna have that graphic get ready for that graphic i know you're gonna see the leaders yeah. in completion percentage bonix is gonna be out there as well they will they will make sure that they <laughs> they let you know at home that graham mertz completes a lot of passes 100 percent. so that's that's what i'm saying is that like to beat this Ford offense you have to get them off schedule right i don't think that 
Georgia really has this game record as far as a pass rusher like they usually do. Their run defense has been okay. You know, like you said, they stopped Ray Davis, but I don't know if they have a dude that's really like, oh, we got to be scared of this dude. They're just a well-disciplined team. So if we feel like they can keep gap discipline, if they can stay on the same page, if they're not going to have lapses in defense, that's how Florida gets big plays is through lapses in defense. They roll you to to sleep, and then it's like, boom. Georgia, when they were effective under Todd Munkin, was like a boa constrictor with fangs. <laughs> it was like, oh, we're going to kill you quickly and then slowly, <laughs> slowly beat you into the ground. And so that's why these two styles of offense can be pretty interesting, especially with Bobo and not Munkin, because Munkin had a lot more of that big playability. So this also could be a little bit of an old school football game. It could be a game that's determined by turnovers. Uh, it's going to be a real test for Carson Beck. And you know, the type of stuff that we love to see as football fans, right? We don't want to see... I mean, as fun as it is to see this, we don't want to see Brock Bowers 200 rushing yards, three touchdowns games over in the first quarter of halftime. You know, like we want to Bowers see with 200 two. rushing yards? That would be a record. Oh, sorry. I meant uh, passing yards. Um, like, like <laughs> receiving 200 yards. yards. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, sorry. Not passing yards either. Jeez. All purpose yards. No. <laughs> so, yeah. Like, Calm down. Calm down. No, yeah. Uh, like, so that, like, as much as, like, I'm obviously, like, I want to watch Brock Bowers play football as much as possible, this game is going to be a lot more of a chess match without him in it because he is such a safety valve for that offense. I want to see Rawa Thomas. I want to see Lovett. I want to see um, Rosemary. How do you say this man's name? Uh, um, Rosemary Jackson. Marcus Rosemary Jackson. Yeah. Rosemary Jack Saint. Okay, I started calling Rosemary. I was like, hold on. I know the Jack Saint part, funny enough. Anyway, so, uh, but yeah, like they have some very diverse receivers that really haven't gotten their shine, you know, and we haven't really even seen in close games what those guys are mentally made of, honestly, because, you know, if you're playing in Mizzou, if you're playing in Mississippi State, you're not really going to have those chances where you truly feel like your season's on the line because, you know, I mean, those seasons don't last till November often. And so here we are, like we, we've, I'm very fascinated by this game. Still think Georgia's going to win it. Um, but I think that this game is going to be very, I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be back and forth. Um, but at the end of the day, I just think that, you know, Georgia's on one page. I still think Florida has had some of these like kind of coaching lapses. And obviously the one, the one thing, and not only just, you know, covering the short routes and, and staying disciplined, but the discipline part of it, that's really what has favored Georgia like in the last several years here talking about, penalties talking about weird calls that aren't getting in for Florida like Florida was weirdly in that Kentucky game and then they got themselves out of it by just shooting themselves in the foot playing the wrong running back calling weird plays having weird penalties and that's something that Georgia has just vaporized with like the intensity of a thousand suns like if you mess up on Georgia it doesn't matter if we're up 30 you're getting screamed at by that entire defensive staff um and so point being I I think that this is going to be a really good measuring stick for the coaching staffs and if Florida can play a mistake-free game if this dude Graham Mertz, as you all keep telling me, is on Twitter, he's not going to create weird turnovers. If he's going to be able to take chances and trust himself, and being that he's my age and has a mortgage, he can actually say, okay, I'm going to go down the field on this Georgia defense. I think it's going to be back and forth, but I, I do have Georgia winning by about uh, seven, and uh, hopefully Same I'm correct. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think that like anyone really enjoys blowouts unless they're my team. I hope LSU wins every game by 100, but everybody else, I hope they're really close. I, this game is fun when it's close. Um, mm. I, lo- I look forward to this game. It's, it's become one of my favorites since since I started covering this conference, and I, I think this is, I, I think this is one of those matchups that we had a vision for it coming into the season, and there was even a vision for it like probably three weeks ago, four weeks ago. We thought this isn't going to be particularly close, and while I understand there are no moral victories that Florida fans will feel losing to Georgia. If there is this path to playing a 60 minute game against this team, I'm not saying that you need to celebrate that or anything like that, but here's, here's what I would recommend for a Florida fan. Remember two years ago, remember two years ago when your team was just trying to avoid that shutout and that whole stadium was emptied out. And I remember 
And, and I remember looking around thinking, man, how is it this bad? And you don't have to say to yourself, man, this is so good. We're on the cusp. It means that we're going to beat Georgia next year. But just appreciate the fact that it ain't that bad. It's not that bad anymore. And yeah. a lot of teams against that Georgia, against the Georgia team that's in the midst of a, a historic run right now would take a lot longer. Now, of course, there's a possibility Florida could end up getting blown out and this game's over by halftime. Okay. Can't rule that out yet. If Florida looks like what Kentucky did when Kentucky traveled to Athens, then there will be a whole lot of, oh man, we're still that far away. And I get it. I fully get it. But if there's a moment in which you think, hey, we actually have a chance in the fourth quarter of this game that beats the hell out of whatever you were experiencing two years ago watching this game, just trying to avoid however long that shutout streak, that shutout streak had lasted you. I can't remember how many games it was, but that was embarrassment. That was total embarrassment. And to at least now be in a better place. Yes, I understand it's without Brock Bowers, but that would be the silver lining of a of a close game. I hope this game's close. This game would be a lot more fun if it were close, especially because we don't really have another game on, on SEC that's going to make us feel like, wow, this is really fun competitive football with great implications. And that's not a shot at Mississippi State and Auburn, but it kind of it is. is. <laughs> sorry, um, I'm sorry. I'll say it. Uh, I I will say this too, okay? So Florida has a couple of interesting trends. So Jordan fans are going to be furious to me for saying this. I think there are three teams in the SEC that are pretty clearly like fourth quarter teams. Um, I think it's Alabama. I think it's LSU. And I think it's Florida. I think that, you know, coming back against – okay. How can I give Florida credit for coming back against South Carolina but not Georgia? Um, one was at home for Georgia. You were just coming off of a national championship. Uh, South Carolina had no business being up on you. Uh, whereas South Carolina and Florida like, have been pretty back and forth for the last couple of years. So I think that that's a game that Georgia should have just never been in. I think they just played Georgia football for the second half of that game. I don't think that they like learned something about themselves. I think they were just sleepwalking. So there's some really interesting just like Billy Napier slash Florida trends. So I'm going to say yeah, I completely agree with what you just said. And if you're Florida, you need to score. Like, look at the scripted plays for Florida. If they can go down there and at least get a field goal, if they can go down there and score in their first drive, what you can't have happen is a weird punt, a penalty. You give the ball to Georgia, they score, and you're playing from high. This Florida team, again, I got it. You came back against South Carolina. Awesome, dude. This Florida team is not built to come back against a team like Georgia. Okay? So, if you step on the gas early and you get ahead of them and you're in a back-and-forth game and your guys are believing it, if that fourth quarter starts and you're tied, maybe you're down three, maybe you're down seven. If you're Florida, based on how your season has been and you've seen these SEC wins kind of come down to the wire, you feel like, okay, like we're ready for this, especially without Brock Bowers. And I want to say that's another caveat is that we just haven't seen Georgia without Brock Bowers. As much as Georgia fans are going to be mad at me and saying, oh, well, look what we've done. That guy is a cheat code. That guy is when you are playing uh, like a a like first person like strategy game and you put in the unlimited money hack and suddenly you win all your games. It's like you don't need to game plan where you have Brock Bowers. He literally could return a punt for a touchdown. So that's what I'm saying is that this coaching staff is going to be uh, tested in a way they never have. If you're Georgia, you want to get down there and do the opposite. Like if you get up seven, if you force a stop, that game could be over based on how this game has gone. But if you're Florida, you need to just do enough to scratch and claw and scratch and claw and don't shoot yourself in the foot. Don't have a dumb turnover. Don't get behind by 10. Like be, you have to be there the whole game and win it at the end. I don't see Florida winning a blowout, you know what I'm saying? But I could see Georgia doing that. I was trying to think of the dumb, the dumb penalties Florida hasn't had yet that it could in this one. <laughs> have they Clap. had a disconcerting signal? Uh, that that I that that was the one I was thinking of. I don't know if they've had that yet. I'd have to go back and look that up. That, that Florida could get penalized in a key spot for clapping. That's yep. 
that's very much on the table. That would be on brand for Florida and these games away from home. I'm not, I'm not wishing that upon Florida. I'm saying that if Florida is sitting there, gets a third down stop or something like that, and then you realize, oh, wait, the play was actually ruled dead because the defensive players were, were clapping or something like that. What if, okay, what if Billy Napier in the ref's ear, right? He has something that just happened he doesn't like. It's third down. Billy Napier clapping loud as hell gets a disconcerting penalty call. Look. Because <laughs> the ref's right there. He's like, oh, yeah, jerk. <laughs> Here yeah. you go. Let's, let's just no more clapping in college football stadiums. The, the clapping <laughs> is just outlawed. It is, we're, we're canceling clapping. You just can't we're do it. We're canceling clapping. No clapping. <laughs> Don't be excited for your team to get a stop, all right? How I'm dare hold- you? I'm just holding clapping accountable. That's what we're doing. I'm not canceling. <laughs> All right. Let's talk some lock of the week here. We're five and three. Five and three, Will. Much better place than the first part of the season. That wasn't a bet for Ohio State last week so much as it was a bet against James Franklin in a big-time game. That worked out. Some are saying that'll never win another Big Ten title without Joe Moorhead. I might be the only person saying that. Others could be saying it as well. I just haven't checked with them yet. I feel really, really good about getting to six and three. But we're going to have to wait a little bit. We're going to have to wait a little bit to have this cash. Sometimes I'm like, right, let's, just get, let's get a lock of the week out of the way with like a big new kickoff game, something like that. No, no, no. We're not doing that. I am an Oregon State respecter. Right. I, I think I've said some very nice things about the Beavs on this podcast. I've said some nicer things about the Beavs than Marler has. I'll go on record and say that. I am a bigger Beavs fan than Marler is. Um, I'll leave it at that. Um, I think what DJ Uyunglele, still crushing the pronunciation, Year four. This is just a pronunciation class. You don't care about this. <laughs> I know. Just, just trying to show off here. DJ Uyunglele, I think what he has done to resurrect his career is awesome. It's one of the cooler stories that we've seen in college football. I think that Jonathan Smith is vastly underrated, and we should probably be talking about him as one of the better coaches in the sport. I think part of the reason that he's underrated is because we talked about like coaches using you know other jobs as leverage and whatnot. He's at his alma mater. He doesn't really get thrown around on those – those wow, that's lists. a good note. I yeah. actually didn't know that. That's a really good note because it's hey, like quarterback there. Yeah, yeah, yeah no facts. That's, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I went on Portland radio this week and, and talked about that. Discussed the Pac-12 the entire time. No big deal. Just versatile here down here in Orlando. What's doing Portland radio like? Uh, they're good dudes. They're really good dudes. They've had me on like probably like five or six times over the course of the last couple of years. Super super nice. Shout out my guy Chad. Um, yeah. But I love even as an Oregon State respecter. I love Arizona getting three and a half points at home against Oregon State. Jed Fish has those guys playing at such an elite level right now. They just dominated Washington State on the road, which came on the heels of down-to-the-wire games against both USC and Washington. Ever since Noah Fafita came in, that is their quarterback. He's awesome. (laughs) I know. This is is a pronunciation (laughs) masterclass. We're doing it big here. I'm telling you right now, if you are one of those people that likes to stay awake on a Saturday night and you love Pac-12 after dark, watch this kid. He is so fun. I don't know that he's any bigger than I am, but the plays and throws that this guy is making, man, he is so, so fun to watch. I think Arizona coming off of the bye week, I think they cover plus three and a half against Oregon State. Pac-12 after dark has been so good this year. It's been awesome. I've been so dialed into it. I think this might just be my way of trying to give myself a little bit of skin in the game. That's what everybody does, though. You lost all your bets on, on Saturday. Try and get yourself a little bit of money back late at night. This is a good game to do it. Arizona plus three and a half. 
the thing about Pac-12 After Dark is like I had an affinity for it in college when I would you know go out to the bars or whatever and I'd come back and it would be on. And since then, I'm not going to say it's like overrated, but I feel like people have just made it into like such this big thing where like a lot of football has been pretty bad, to be honest with you. And I, like, you know me, I, I don't gamble. I'm a dude who's pretty obsessed with the things I'm into. So I try to not gamble because I don't want to be that guy. Um, nothing wrong with it. I just, I know my limits. Um, so I, I've just never really been a better on this game at all. And so point being like this year, dude, the matchups have been so incredible because there's like eight good teams in the Pac-12. And so like you see, yeah, you see Washington versus Arizona State in just like an absolute like dog fight where there's like weird calls or stuff. You see the cable. It's like, uh, there's like, cause you have to have two teams in this game and over half of the conference is good. So you're either going to see a great team play or you're going to see two good teams that like, go at it. And it's like, it's, or you're just going to see a, a team that we thought was good, um, you know, kind of, kind of struggle, which we've seen a ton, obviously with like Caleb Williams and with um, Washington last week. So yeah, I actually have been really dialed into Pac-12 after dark um, as well. So yeah, I, I will trust you. Arizona has been amazing to watch this year, truly. I mean, you talk, they played two SEC teams and they were in both games. Played two SEC played one SEC team. They played like, Auburn and Mississippi State, right? Didn't play. Didn't play. Arizona didn't play Auburn this year. Oh, they didn't? Who did they play? You're, you're thinking of Cal. Cal played against Auburn. Oh, my bad. That yeah, dude, yeah. that game ended at 2 a.m. I forgot who was yeah. on his helmets. My and, bad. And the Mississippi State game, different quarterback, too. So, like, we're, I'm yeah. talking about a different, uh, basically a different Arizona team. Fafita yeah. took over, um, took over against USC. And like ever since then, mm. he's just been absolutely awesome. So, yeah, I, my my fault for not remembering that game, but we were both like coming in after that with like, oh, but yeah, that their defense has always been good in the times I've seen them. Uh, no better tribute to Mike Leach than Pac-12 After Dark being incredible. It's been yep. so so good this year. All right, let's kick it to CD. Great discussion with one of my favorite people. Uh, we touched on a bunch of Florida Georgia storylines and some storylines around the SEC. So here is CD. Not excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is the one and only Chris Doring, the youngest looking 50 year old that I know, at least. Um, I and appreciate I don't, that. Look, man, I, I, I told you when you turn 50, it's going to be a weird realization for the rest of us. And you are going to be the gold standard, I think, as someone who is 17 years away from it. Like, when was the last time I was thinking about this? When was the last time that you got carded? Uh, it's been a while, man. Yeah. I, I, I can't say that I look that young, but, um, I appreciate, you know, that that's the, the best compliment is when somebody asks how old you are and you tell them like, no, no way. I don't know if it's authentically, you know, people feeling that way or not, but more for me, it's just the competitiveness of trying to, to stay as, as fit as I can, man, as I get all right. I used to, one of the hardest things, like when you first get into college, Having to go to the workouts and go through the, the the what they do in terms of the the group fitness and the the running it, like it's such a a pain in the butt but like it's my favorite part of the day now like I would give anything in the, in the NFL they they we used to pay you a hundred bucks a day to go work out I wish somebody was paying me a hundred bucks a day right now to work out it'd be great. Wait, what? They used to pay you a hundred dollars a day to go work out in the off season. Yeah, you get paid for for your uh, off season uh, workouts. So you get. A, it, it, I think at one time it was a hundred bucks, probably more than that now. But it was, uh, yeah, just you you, you attend the uh, the lift and the run, you get a hundred bucks. That's an NFLPA thing that was negotiated at some point, right? Yeah, for sure. No, <laughs> it's a uh, yeah. And the, the funny part about the preseason too is like. It's the one time you make the same money as everybody else do. I think I think at the time, I don't remember what it was. It was like twelve hundred a week or something for the training camp checks. So then you get into the regular season and there are guys making in a week what you're making for the whole season. But during training camp and the off season, everybody's making the same. 
Oh, yeah, because the in-season paychecks, that's how they do that right in yeah. the NFL. It's yeah, like, set, yeah. When I was in the league, it was you know 16 games in a bye week, so you'd have 17 weeks, so eight and a half paychecks you'd get. And some of the guys that I played with were completely out of money by the time the offseason was over. So they, uh, you know, learning how to make it last throughout the season is, uh, is a challenge. Dude, I feel like I'm pretty good with my money, and that would still be a really hard thing to to deal with. It's like, it if is. you go on strike, oh my well, gosh. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. It's like going in, I, I came from a background where my, my parents, you know, did a lot to try to help teach me financial, um, you know, uh, just literacy. literacy yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and, and uh, yeah, that's a funny word to forget. But um, I, I think uh, there's a lot of guys that are unprepared for that, and I still had a hard time with it, man. You know, I mean, you just... It's always like, oh, the, I'll, I'll buy this now. The next check will be on the way. We'll be able to, we'll, we'll go autograph signing and, and make some money back, or we'll we'll do an appear, whatever. It's just like constantly feel like that that next check's coming until all of a sudden it's not, and then it's over with. So I I see why why that can happen to guys for sure. Let's talk some cocktail party. I know mm-hmm. the the only downside. I love that that's back too. By the way, there used to be like everybody was like pussyfooting around, like oh, we can't call it the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Now all the venues are selling alcohol, so like there's no. It's straight hypocrisy if we're not allowed to call it. It's the greatest nickname of any rivalry game there is. What was the SEC network policy on calling it that, and when did it change? I, I I remember there being a policy. I don't know that it changed. I just I, I just I refuse to call it anything other than that now, and everybody accepts it again. So I'm glad it's back. I, I used to have not to throw my editor Chris right under the bus, but he used to kind of correct me when I'd throw it in a story or something like that. And, and I'd be like, at, at a certain point, I think he just was like, whatever, like who cares? So we're gonna we're gonna put it in headlines. If people have a problem with it get mad about something else like but that don't we, that that, don't we have like invitations to real cocktail parties or like hey we're getting together pre pre wedding cocktails or so like it's not like it's a, a a bad word it's not like we didn't left the tail part of it off i mean it's not like some like forbidden thing i don't know why it became such a bad bad part of the thing you couldn't say it on tv anymore <laughs> It's not like we left the tail off. Oh my god! Uh, yeah, no. Look, they're amateur athletes. I don't want to go to one of those parties. By the way, <laughs> I haven't heard about one of those parties. Haven't gotten an invite. I uh, can't say that. Uh, um, but the downside of it, I, I know for you, like being in this role, you love it. There are so many great things about being able to be there at SEC Network Studios in Charlotte on a Saturday. Not being able to be at the world's largest outdoor yeah. cocktail party. How many cocktails do you pretend that you have while you're in studio? You know what? Uh, I actually never done that before. Maybe that'd be a good exercise to see. You know how many I could pretend to have during the the uh, the afternoon and evening. You've been there. You spent a Saturday with us before. You know how long the day is. So yep. even pretend cocktails would probably start to uh, to take an effect after twelve, thirteen hours in the studio. But um, I, I, it, it's. People ask me all the time, like, do you want to do games? I started out calling games initially, and it's it's fun to be at the games. The games that I was calling were like Ole Miss versus Idaho or, you know, some crazy you know, team that you have no idea about. There's no retention of players or storylines with those. But, like, if you're calling Florida, Georgia, man, what a great opportunity to go and and, and know all the names and know all the, the history of the rivalry and everything. But um, – so I miss a little bit of the adrenaline rush there, but you know how much fun we have in the studios. It's it's a great gig. I love it. Uh, the the cocktail party would be one that I would like to go to, just because the the events start. You you know, I mean, the RV park is starting to fill up probably tomorrow and um, Thursday. Danny Warfel has this great desire 
uh, street ministry charity that they do and, and guys from, from Florida, guys from Georgia. It's like who's who's of the, uh, the rivalry and you get a chance to, to play, hang out with those guys. They have a great golf challenge they do on Friday and then everybody just starts showing up for the, the whole uh, debacle that it turns into. It's, uh, it's great, man. I, love, I missed the. I don't know if you ever did the, the uh, have, you, have you been to the cocktail party before? I have been. I went the first time a couple of years ago and got to do the tailgate deal and see it from the outside. I had shot up my buddy Candler who had suite tickets for the game. So I did the first half in the suite, second half in the press box, did a full concourse lap. It is so unique and so yeah. cool. And as much I and I totally I totally get it, the desire to want to have this game on campus. But for those who say all neutral site games are bad. I would say go to the Red River Rivalry and yep. go to the world's largest outdoor cocktail party because it is hard to beat and it is so unique the way that it is all, that it is all set up and it for me lived up to the hype. Yeah, no, it definitely does, and um, you know that's what I I grew up on that game being in Jacksonville, and I've, I've talked to you about this before, but having been a part of that that Gator program when the the Gator Bowl had been taken down and they were building the the Jag Stadium there. We played in Gainesville in 94 in this game. We played up in Athens in 95. So if anybody's able to speak on this from the firsthand perspective, it would be me and those that are in my class at, at Florida and Georgia. You know, it, it, it was fine playing them. It was, not, it was kind of a novelty thing since it hadn't been done before. But, like, it felt like playing Auburn at home in a way. It felt like playing Tennessee home in a way. It loses a little bit of the specialness. And it, you don't have Hall of Fames for those games. You have a Hall of Fame for the Florida-Georgia game because it, it means a little something extra. It's a different experience. And it, it, I know Kirby is, has been one of the main outspoken you know, mouthpieces about it as it relates to, to recruiting and all. But the students get Fridays off up in Georgia. They come down. Everybody, yeah, the the reunions that that the Georgia fans have down there in the South Georgia the beaches. I mean, it's it's a fun weekend for everybody. I hope they don't change it. I'm glad they've renewed. I guess the the contract for a while. But let, let's just change the rule because honestly, I mean, Georgia has such a a big uh, presence in in Florida anyway. I mean, it'd probably be good for their recruiting. Just let everybody have like alternate who gets the home game and and have the rules changed so when all of this stuff's changing on the college football landscape we at least be able to hang on to some of the great traditions that that make this conference so so fantastic yeah one of those guys Carson Beck Jacksonville native he's playing in this game on the Georgia side and somebody that is going to have a lot of eyeballs on him I'm sure a lot of people are wondering what's this offense going to look like without Brock Bowers what is Mike Bobo going to do because I don't think you can just assume that Oscar Delp is going to do all the things that that Bowers no. did. I, I think that there is a, a specific skill set that he has that will be utilized and, and can be effective. But if you were Bobo, what sort of changes would you make to this Georgia offense, knowing that the most valuable player, at least the most valuable non-quarterback, I would even include Marvin Harrison in college football, is not going to be out there? Yeah, I would say, you know, it'd be naive to think that you can take one guy and plug him in there and accomplish all the different things that that Brock Bowers is able to do. But if you had to have an injury to Brock Bowers occur, what better time to have it than during the the off week? You get a chance to figure out who can kind of pick up the slack. It's like like, uh, Brock Bowers by committee. You know, you get a, a piece here from one guy, a piece here from another guy. Um, you know, who are some of the, the, the weapons that, that, you know, create some, some, some challenges, uh, you know, it's been interesting watching Dylan Bell kind of be able to play some receiver and running back this year. 
um, you know, when you when you have guys that can do a lot of different things, it, it allows you to be really creative on offense. And I, for those, I, I, you probably were addressing this early in the season too, but the the Georgia fans that were just so outspoken and negative about Mike Bobo not being more creative, not you know being more aggressive, not scoring more points. I mean, why would you want to have shown anything other than you did during those ball games that you could basically roll the ball out there and win? They did get a chance to play a lot of different uh, players that I think will help, particularly with with Bowers being out. But I see your face, and it sounds like you were, you're not in agreement with me. You were one of those outspoken fans that didn't like what was going on. The listeners know I. it's not that I didn't think Bobo could lead a prolific offense. I have a bet with the listeners of the show that is related to Bobo's performance. And if Georgia wins a national championship with Bobo as the OC, I have to say – a positive Bobo fact at the end of okay. every single podcast for the entire off season, which I'm just going to have it. Aaron give me a list of like 20 of those. And I'll just, he loves him. He, there's nobody that's a bigger proponent of Mike Bobo than Aaron, but I, I, I trust Aaron. Well, one, I love, I love Bobo cause he was at Georgia around the same time I was at Florida. I love guys that play at the, or coach at the schools they played at. They understand. I, I think that's what Kirby smart's done a great job of is guys like Will Muschamp, guys like Mike Bobo that understand you know, what it's like to play in this conference, what it means to be a Georgia Bulldog. Um, my experience, I talked to you a lot about, you know, Coach Spurrier and Dwayne Dixon and these other coaches that played at Florida. It means a little something extra. They can communicate, you know, what, why you should be able to, to, uh, to, to, to you know, use this as, as something that can be more than just uh, four years or five years of your life. It's something that it means forever. And, uh, you know, I, I love that that's the case with Bobo. But, I, you know, I, I've been impressed. Have you not been impressed with what you've seen here in the last month? Maybe not in September, but October. I love the way that he's been using Brock. I, I, I think that that right when they needed him in that Auburn game, and some of the things that they were doing with him to be able to give him mismatches in the second half of those, in the second half of that game specifically, you're like, okay, this is it. This is the Munkin offense that was passed down to Bobo that we were promised that the pro Bobo crowd was saying, Hey, this is what it's going to look like all the time. Now yeah. I think it's been a little bit inconsistent. I don't think ideally they would have gotten off to the start that they did against South Carolina. If they were holding some stuff back, I think there were a lot of Georgia fans saying, uh, now is the time that we need to be able to show this. It was a difficulty in the run game with how banged up they were in the first part of the year yeah. when they didn't have Edwards out there. But I, I think that you're seeing some signs of why this group is so effective. Now, the ultimate testament to Bobo, and I will give him his flowers. If they get through this stretch unscathed, and if this offense is putting up 30-plus points in every single game and they're doing the heavy lifting, trust me, I, I will give him his credit. I think now is when we find out just how good of an OC he is. Isn't it crazy, man? We're looking at the schedule in the preseason and thinking how you know easy it looked with Oklahoma yep. being taken off week two. And now all of a sudden it's turned into this monster stretch down the the, the, the second half of the season. Man, honestly, it, we talk all the time about how tough scheduler is not only who you play, but when you play them and, and how that calendar plays out. Like, I don't know if there's anybody that has a tougher four-game stretch in succession. I mean, let's not forget we, the bye week's going on right now, so they're going to play four straight weeks against Florida, Missouri, Ole Miss, and at Tennessee. Like, it, it's that's a, uh, that's a brutal run for the Bulldogs. Yeah, and Arkansas having this, the four-game stretch that it did was the only one that, that like kind of comes up. But mm -hmm. then again, when you have as much struggles as they do, it doesn't really matter, I guess. But yeah, yeah I, I find myself I don't think wondering. they make it unscathed either. I'm with you. Oh, I, I think – okay, so 
I think there's a good chance that they get out of this undefeated. I don't know that it's going to be with games of 30 plus points. So like, who do you think trips them up during, during that stretch? Do you want to just give your prediction away right now and say it's going to be Florida? Oh no. I, you know what? <laughs> I would love for Florida. I, I, you know, it's nice to have optimism heading into that game, you know, cause I think Florida fans haven't had a whole lot of optimism the last few years. But, I mean, what are we basing that on? We're basing it on a come-from-behind win over a two-win program, you know, where you're down by 10 and with the last five minutes to go, you probably could have and should have lost that ball game. Like, I saw a lot that I liked. I liked the vertical passing game. I, I love the weapons around Graham Mertz. I mean, Mertz has been fantastic. The defense looked better at times. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's funny because statistically, the defense tells you it's a, it's a top-20 defense. Uh, but then I remember, you know, the effort in Kentucky. I remember, you know, some of the points put up earlier in the game against South Carolina. I love, I'm a huge Austin Armstrong fan. I, I think it's probably more likely somebody towards the end of that stretch. Um, I think Florida, I mean, Missouri coming up, uh, what, two weeks? Oh, yeah, that's if, in two weeks, yeah. Yeah, if that game was in Como, it would be a lot more compelling. I think, you know, it'd be, honestly... I think Tennessee is a whole different team at home than they are on the road. And yep. that, that could be at the end of that stretch going to Knoxville. I know it's a weird matchup because the physicality aspect of it, but I, I do think that Tennessee's upgraded their, their physicality on the lines of scrimmage, which should help. Yeah. I, I find myself wondering about that, about whether or not this group is ready for a stretch like this, because this is, like you, you just you find out so much about yourself when it's week after week and you don't really feel like you have that break. Florida, we thought at certain points this year was going to be that break week. And this matchup is not ending up looking like that. I What do you think Florida's path to victory is? Because they've struggled to run the ball away from home this year. And ideally, you would say, follow the Auburn game plan. You want to shorten this game. You want to trust your, your running backs. Don't, it doesn't matter if you're one-dimensional. Georgia's not as good against the run as they've been in years past because they don't necessarily have those game records up front. But it feels like, at the very least, Billy wants this game to be decided in the low 20s, and he would prefer not to get into a shootout. Yeah, I don't know, man. Um, it's been interesting because you talk about those dudes up front for Georgia – Georgia's typically, you know, I think a lot of people think about them playing man coverage, but they they don't really haven't played a ton of it. I mean, a lot of the zones that they play end up being kind of man type principles, but they they played a lot of of two high safeties in the back in, in the past years, and they're having to maybe do a little less of that to get an extra guy down around the line of scrimmage, and 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 you're seeing more twists and games up front because they don't have the one on one pass rush skills that they've had in the recent years. So, um. I I don't I honestly think well, Florida's run game is not as good this year. The offensive line the offensive line is not as good as what they were last year. Um, so I, I don't know that you can line up and just run the football against Georgia and think you're going to win the game. I think you got to be aggressive, man. Let, let's go. Let's use that same game plan. I thought they were too conservative against Utah. Uh, they should have been throwing the football against Utah more. Um, you know, I think there's moments of just. Uh, for whatever reason, it's funny too, because Billy Napier is an offensive guy, he played quarterback. You'd think he would defer to being a little bit more aggressive throwing the ball, but his DNA is more of a running uh, type offense first. You, you, last year, you go to Knoxville, you throw it all over, you're using boots and nakeds and creative stuff, and you're, you're putting up you know, 500 plus yards of offense, you're scoring a bunch of points, and then you come back and you get back to being real conservative. So I need to see that they're going to commit to throwing the ball down the field more, but I mean, 
Ricky's amazing. You're seeing Trey Wilson emerge as a, a future superstar. It's been nice to see my guy, Willie Jackson's son, Khalil, playing well. You, you, uh, Burks has been nice. To, so that, there's there's a lot of weapons that I don't think Anthony Richardson had last year. So let's play to the strengths of the roster, which I think is the pass. And that's not even talking about the tight ends. I think Boardingham's been really solid. That whole group is is has been good. So hopefully they'll be aggressive throwing the football and not try to make it a, a conservative, low-scoring game. I owe you an apology for huh? not being as high on Ricky Pearsall because – we had this conversation. No, no. Is whoa. that what it was? Whoa. <laughs> I, I am your biggest fan. How dare I'm you? Just you know, of all people. Um, you look, know, nobody likes to hate on white skill players more than white people. I don't understand it. It's like a, it's a, it's such a weird kind of dynamic. Whites hating on whites. <laughs> I, I played in, uh, in a basketball game in high school. We go, it's it, actually, it was against Tebow. I mean, Tebow wasn't there. Obviously, it was against Nice. Yeah. Every time I touched the ball, they booed me because I was the only white guy out there on our team, man. So I, I never understood the, the white on white <laughs> hate. It's, it's weird. I, I think that the two with like Pearsall and Ladd, everybody just assumes that they're, they're slot guys and they actually play on the outside a lot more than people probably give them credit for. And I thought mm-hmm. in person, I was like, Ricky Pearsall's a bigger guy than what I, I think I see on TV too. And yeah. I remember at SEC Media Days, I asked him, and that maybe this is part of why I was a little bit lower on him. I definitely asked him um, why he wore his sunglasses backwards around his neck and was he doing it to try and look like Guy Fieri? And he didn't know who that was. So I think I'm kind of justified in being low on him. Honestly, is Guy Fieri the, the the cook guy with the spiky hair? Is that who you, that is? You know who Guy Fieri is, yes. I'm not yes. a huge like I don't watch these celebrity cooking shows. I mean, I've seen that guy on like some other like game show things, but it's CD, not like he's it, he's an icon. Like, come on, like he is icon that stretch, look, Connor. Come on, I, God, he's built an empire. The guy is he worth yeah. he is worth a filthy amount of like you see that look, and and there is just. There are there are single digit human beings on the planet that can get away with looking like that, and he pulls yeah. it off, man. I'm with you on that. So you you were down on him because he didn't know who Guy Fieri was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, look, <laughs> a lot of I, depth. You got a lot of depth to you, Connor. I know, right? Like we 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 talk on these shows, and I'm like, what if I had just come on like the entire off season and just come up with that take and not been like, you know what? I actually was really impressed with the things he was doing running around that Florida State game and like all with no receivers around him, he's just out there making plays. Yeah. yeah if I just come on and I'm just like, yeah, you know what? Like, I don't really know that he watches the Food Network very much. Like, <laughs> pretty Ricky's got other things to yeah. worry about, but he's been awesome. Like, he, he's, he's so freaking good. And when he made that play in South Carolina, you're thinking to yourself, oh, crap. Somebody just Which did. play? The fourth down catch or the touchdown? The touch. The, you know what? The fourth, fourth down, down catch. Fourth down play is a great one, too. The, the touchdown, though. Like, Pearsall's got a touchdown. Can we, can we say that? Will that be a, a tattoo for Infringement. Him? Yeah, I, it's infringement. Do you, do you have that trademarked? No. Oh, you should. No. You really? Why don't no, you? It, it's been fun um, with people making the comparisons. And uh, it's ironic, you know, 30 years later, you know, it's, it's, uh, kind of cool to, to you know he and i were were texting with one another and just uh he is he is very very complimentary very respectful very um you know much like me loves playing for the university of florida and uh you know i, I it's been cool to kind of make that connection here the last uh last couple of weeks let's get let's get nerdy a little bit um Pierce, I know I was just saying like Pearsall plays in the outside. He plays in the slot too, but he and Wilson have both been pretty interchangeable in the slot with the way that they've been used. We're watching Luther Burden take off his transition into the, playing in the slot. Malik Neighbors plays a ton there. Xavier Leggett plays a lot there. Even Brian Thomas Jr., who like, pr- 
prototypical outside dude, big physical guy. I think that's old. I think that's outdated. I, I don't think they're like the idea of you can only play one. My, I, I played all of them, yeah. and really, the more you can do, the more opportunity you have. One to be on the field, and two to be able to use in a lot of different ways. I've been on teams where guys were just strictly an X. You know, they just were split in guys. But you know, if, if you can now, the, the ability to move people around to you know, change matchups the ability like i thought that um i thought that sark you know what sark did at alabama with that group Devonte smith like moving guys stack release switch releases the the different ways that i mean that that to me is what modern football is and um you know there if you want to be a great receiver nowadays you got to be able to play all over yeah if, you, if you're not and that's what i was going to ask you is like if you're not putting your best receiver in the slot, at least like, I don't know, like eight to 10 snaps a game. I don't know. Like you, you feel like, Oh, we got the pup in the Gotta shot. Get the dog. He's over here. Like acting like I'm neglecting him by not letting him <laughs> sit up here with me, man. For those who, who can't see or just in the, the listening crowd, CD's pup is in every single radio hit. Um, yeah. Sirius XM show. You don't bring the pup to S to SEC this morning. Cause that's obviously in Charlotte, but no, I, he didn't get to travel. I didn't make the travel squad, but I, um, when he was a puppy, he's a golden doodle about two and a half years old. When he was a little puppy, you know, he'd come sit on my lap while I did radio in the morning for our Sirius XM show. So anytime I'm on the radio now, I think he thinks that that's how he's supposed to be. So he'll, He'll sit here for the entirety of the three-hour show if I let him and just uh, chill and get his belly rubbed. I don't blame him. It's smart. Yeah, not a bad gig. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. Um, so, like, what if a coach is, is not willing to do that, if they're not willing to put their best receiver in the slot eight to ten times a game just to see what the matchup looks like? You don't, even, you don't have to target that guy, but at least see, okay, what, what if we can just draw up a matchup pre-snap where we just know we're going to have that advantage? You're doing your offense a disservice by not doing that, right? Like you say, it's yeah. it's outdated to not to just have a guy play strictly in the X or something. I, I think that that's become one of the most obvious trends. And if you're not doing it, I don't know, shame on you. Yeah, I loved um, playing with Hines Ward. Speaking of Georgia guys, playing with Hines in Pittsburgh, like Hines could play outside. He was he was a Z receiver, but could play. You know, when we'd go in three and four wide stuff, he'd play in the slot, like. Watching him and his understanding of coverage and leverage, and he'd always run the uh, H choice route, so he'd be able to 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 you know to play in zone, sit it down. You can turn in, turn out, uh, man. You can break in and break out. Like it just gives it. You should win every single time. And a guy like Hines knew exactly where where to sit to be able to take advantage of whatever coverage it was in, and and it was just a really impressive. Um, understanding of of defenses watching him play man do you remember every instance that you had a linebacker across from you in man coverage in college back when i was at florida there was not a whole lot of substituted coverages a lot of they, i mean just they base a lot so i i would i wouldn't say there was a ton of man they wouldn't play man a ton although again speaking georgia i did have some man matchups when we played in athens up there in 95 against linebackers which we took advantage of but <laughs> You know, a lot of what what I ran in the slot, you know, I, I played X and I started at X uh, my senior year. Uh, most of the stuff I did my sophomore and junior year was from the slot. But um, when we would go to, you know, four, three, four, five wide formations, I would always play on the inside. And most of the time, you know, we were operating against, um, you know, cover two, you know, a lot of the cover two posts, corner route stuff that I caught was all 
two high safety looks. Um, you know, the catch I made against Kentucky was a, a two-man coverage where I had a linebacker underneath playing me man, which I beat him over the top and then split the safety. So, but now, now, I mean, you're playing against nickel and dime coverages. I mean, you know, it's, it's people used to talk about, oh, are you a four, three or three, four? Everyone's multiple with what they do with their fronts. A lot of it's, you know, being in four, two, um, you know, fronts now and, and having to play, you know, the, 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 maybe the most difficult, most important position to play is the, uh, you know, in that, um, in the slot now, you know, everybody calls it something different, but being able to set the edge as the, the nickel guy there in the, against the run, being able to blitz off the edge, being able to, to play man coverage. I mean, there's a lot that those guys have to do, and it's a very unique uh, skill set to, to be able to, to play that spot. Yeah, because I think a lot of people would would look at what offenses are doing and say, well, why don't you just put your best corner at the slot? Why don't you just put Kool-Aid McKinstry at the slot yeah. if you have a receiver that's doing that? And because of what you just mentioned, there are so many other things that you have to worry yeah. about. It's not just as simple as, oh, I'm going to line up across from one guy. And I think that's kind of where that mismatch is going to still be, and it's going to be really hard for defenses to adjust to that. The, the physicality of that spot, again, setting the edge in the run game, you have to be able to hold up against the, the run there. And a lot of, like you're talking about, a lot of these cover corners don't have the, the, the girthiness or the, the strength to be able to, to do that. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's going to be one of those things that's going to be really interesting to, to look at moving forward, especially now when it seems like every, all these elite receivers in the SEC are playing so much in the slot. And, and will those, guys that become more interchangeable that you can just throw in there in different personnel groupings, much like what we talk about on offense and the versatility it can provide there. I think those guys are, are still kind of being sorted through on, on the, on the defensive side. Um, do you have a prediction for, for Saturday? I only ask because you've had more than a week to, to think about it and you have a look in your eye that's telling me you might. I, d I don't, and I'm, I'm certainly not ready to go on the record yet with it. Um, no, I this think it's going to come. CD, this isn't coming out until Thursday, so you, you've got some time if you want to. Like, I'll just like yeah. dub it over the top if you want. Yeah. Want me to edit it in the yeah. future? And I'll just, just move my mouth way. now, and and you <laughs> put the words in. Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be competitive, man. I, I don't know about you, but for whatever reason, yeah, I think Florida feels really confident after winning that game um, against South Carolina. I think that I think you're going to look back and you're going to look at that game a lot like you looked at the 93 game where I caught that pass against Kentucky is kind of a turning point in the program's history. Um, so I, I think this is the game that, that people South Carolina will look back and, and, and say the same about Billy Napier's program. Um, but this is a big, this is a big test for them, man. It, you, you go out there and get blown out by four touchdowns and all the goodwill you could, you, you created is now out the window. So uh, th there's a lot of pressure, not only just to win, but just, you know, play competitively. Let's see what you can, Line up and 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 do. I want to see the same body language. I want to see the sense of urgency. I want to see the the uh, the excitement. It, you know, they didn't have any of that when they went to Lexington. And forget all the you know, get more sleep one night or change our schedule. Like, just show up and play, man. You, you get twelve opportunities that you're guaranteed to go out and have, man. Line up and 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 be the best version of yourself on those twelve Saturdays. Last one for you, and I only ask you this because, as you mentioned earlier. I have so much respect for what you guys do in studio, the amount of football that you have to be on top of and be able to react to in the moment. Like seriously, like any, anybody that thinks that job is easy is, is out of their mind. It is so, you know, you know what the process. hardest part about it is Connor, you know, this too, 
The hardest part is, well, one, well, I can't remember. You were there earlier in the season, I think, right? 2019. I think it was late September. I want to say it was like week four, week five. Okay. I remember I was it was say, Ole Miss Bama that I was there for. The hardest part about it is when, you know, the first couple of weeks of the season when they're all out of conference games and you got four or five games going on in the same window. That's a challenge. But watching the game on a television copy and not being able to see the all 22, especially for a guy like me, when I turn on the, the, the tape, I'm looking at coverage first, route combination. You can't see any of that. Uh, rarely do you ever get the all 22 feed on any of the games that you're watching. So you're only getting to see what the directors and producers want you to see. That to me is one of the hardest things to, to be able to, all right, what, what were they doing here that created this issue for the secondary? What kind of coverage were they in? What kind, you know, the, those are the things that I wish that we had the ability to see more of, to be able to talk more knowledgeably in the moment. Instead of, you know, I spent every Sunday in my hotel being able, you know, having to go through and watch all these tapes over again. And I can't really bring any of that back until Friday the next week. And, and a lot of times we're looking to the next Saturday instead of looking in review by that time. So I do wish we had a better opportunity to look at what, you know, I think that's what Roman and Cole are doing on read and react. That's a, a great way to, to see some of it. But um, honestly, in the moment, I'd love to be able to see the, the all 22 to have a little bit more of a understanding of what's happening schematically. Correct me if I'm wrong. Doesn't Chiswick sneak away for about an hour or an hour and a half to look at some all 22 type stuff when he would do that before you guys would go on live on afterwards on Saturday night. Like, wasn't he when he would sneak off and like, he's like watching extra stuff that he didn't see live. Yeah. Like, he had some really, process. It, it wasn't the all 22. Like there's a out where in, in the screening area where every, you know, you got all your PAs and everybody that are cutting highlights and stuff. We'll go out there. If we see something, we'll try to go out there. All right, let me take a look at this. But really, we don't have any of the all-22 feeds. There was a time that we got some of the all-22 feeds that would come in through the trucks, but we don't really get those anymore. There's a limited number of things that they can bring in now. So it's, uh, it's not the same. But it's hard because, again, if we break away to go out there to try to put a breakdown together of what you know Alabama's offense is doing against Tennessee, now I'm missing the rest of the other games that are going on. So it's a, it's a double-edged sword to some degree, man. Okay, so I, I I say that all because you know I have great respect for for what you do, and I I, I could here do comes it. the this, here <laughs> it comes I can see it. week week one, you yeah. had a moment in which I think you realized you were going to have to talk about Nick Eamon Worry getting hurt. And oh, I'm pretty sure I, I brutalized his name, didn't I? Dude, I I think you said, and I'm going to explain because I think I I, yeah. I want to know if if I have what was going on in your brain correct yeah. yeah i think you realize oh crap like i i know this guy's name but in the heat of the moment when you're live yeah. and you're on air sometimes stuff just slips and it happens to me even when i pre-record stuff mm -hmm. it happens i'm pretty sure what came out of your mouth was <laughs> nick Imanyama, and i know what <laughs> happened your brain had the start of his name correctly but then yeah. you've seen all this coverage about Victor Wembanyama. Yeah. Victor Wembanyama. I can't even say his name on this. And you, for whatever reason, you just merged those two things together, <laughs> and we got Nick Imanyama. And I was like, CD doesn't do that. And I noticed no. when CD does that. Hey, you know what? You know that it is sometimes even the easiest names you'll go blank on. Like, oh my god, why, why, why can't I think of his name right now? And it's it's what it, you talk about pure panic going on. It's a terrible feeling. But you're right, because I, I, I was going with his name, and then I was trying to visualize it 
and and it just completely lost it and and you're you're i just i tried to not really commit to it like really just kind of say it like jumbled together it was it was a mess yeah that was not good dari just pros pro dari just moved right past it <laughs> and it best, was right her, oh dari is the ultimate point guard like yeah. I, I right right when I, I i knew that i was i meant to text you about it earlier and of course i'm bringing it up right now on on live airwaves but good uh, no. Yeah, look, man. You're, hey, you're, you're if so you could have texted me his name accurately, that would have been a great a win too. Because I have no idea how to even spell the thing either. Oh God! All right, so next time, next time when I hear you mess up a name, even just by like a syllable, I'm just gonna text you. I'll just be in Do your it, ear. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be that hey, guy. I, we, we need accountability. I want accountability. Okay. I, I want accountability when I'm like truly wrong. If I'm like mostly right, I don't want accountability. Just, just you know me, what? Just let me be right. Here's you know who likes to uh, bring accountability. Um, Alabama fans, when they when when you've when you've uh, wronged them, and it's it's amazing for a fan base that's had so much success. Like they really take it personally if you just pick against them. It's not like I, not like I criticized their 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 parents or you know made some sort of back. End. I literally just picked against them a couple times, and bro. Not only the not only the the, the Twitter hate, but the you know the, these guys are going on. Facebook Messenger, they're going on like they, you know, I get, I got somebody got my cell phone. It was like, it's a lot. And then when you're right, like I picked Alabama last week to win double digits by Tennessee, it's crickets, man. I don't get any, <laughs> any. I there was one Alabama fan that came back and said, "Hey, I want to give Chris Doran credit." Like, very thankful for that. But like, it doesn't happen with other fan bases the way it does with Alabama. I'm sure you've experienced it too. Not, I haven't been in a post game hype video the way that you have. <laughs> To get I don't know if that's like a good that. or bad thing. Is it what I mean? What are we What are we doing here? Like, is it? There's no such thing as bad press, right? That's what they tell you. I think it's a mostly good thing. I would wear it as a badge of honor. Look, I, I own my mistakes. I I own my my wrong calls, probably to a fault. People are like, dude, yeah. stop talking about how wrong you are about certain yeah. things. And you know what? Like, it's it's a little bit of a badge of honor. I'll, I'll be honest. Like, when I see like paid or somebody like that in in some of these like pregame hype videos, Payton like literally every single one. Yeah. It's it's a bit much. He's kind of getting saturated with his content that way. Uh, but like, there are other people that I see sometimes, and I'm like. I don't think that person knows a lick about what they're talking about. And they just got thrown in a pregame hype video. Yeah. Um, and Pate's not one of those people. Josh like knows, knows what he's doing, yeah. but like there are other people. I don't know. I think you just need to own it. The, oh, I'm fine with it. Here's the thing. I, I honestly, you know, this too, you know me, I'm not going to say anything just to try to get a reaction. I don't give a That's shit true. about any of that, man. No, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, to like in that moment, I literally was feeling really good about Texas A&M and what they had been doing up front. You know, I, I, I felt like, you know, Alabama's offense was having issues, which they, they have. I mean, everything I said was true, but the way they cut that video to, all right, their offense is better. Oh, here's a shot of their offense not being better. Here's a shot of their defense not being better. Here's a shot of the special teams blocking a kick. Like, it was uh, – it couldn't have been more well done. And and it was taken – you you watch our our Friday and, and Monday shows sometimes. Friday, we, we have a, a, a segment called Call Your Shot. So, literally, I'm looking into the camera – calling a shot which the name of the segment is and and the shot was off but it's only the the part you know making it look so like uh i've just so entrenched in my point of view that it it played very well on social media for sure hey look we we all get got every once in a while i got cold takes i got cold hate hard i saw you i saw you actually uh you cold take yourself you were you were on uh i saw you you mentioned that was that that was about dan enos's offense right 
Yeah, Fred got me pretty good. Uh, by the way, yeah. Fred is who runs the the Colt the yeah. um, Old Takes Exposed account, and he yeah. that I, he's a Florida guy, right? He, he lives, is a Florida is guy. That, he yeah. is a Florida guy. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. I'm like I'm like sitting there waiting to get waiting to get salmon at Publix. Almost all of a sudden, my phone starts flowing up, and I'm like, oh god. I, just, I knew I had like I had a really bad feeling it was gonna happen. I got my Arkansas buddies texting me like, like oh we we're all there. You're just the one that got called out for it. It, it happens, it, man. It, it happens. I mean, I have a hard time not defaulting to the positive. Like you know me, I'm just a glass half full guy. Maybe a glass like full full guy, and uh, I like I just. I think everything's always going to work out. I want all these coaches to do great. I mean, inevitably, it's it's a zero-sum league, right? So you're going to have some winners. You're going to have some losers. And, and coaches are going to come and go, and it's not going to work out. But, like, um, that was one that just – it was kind of a head-scratcher to me, man. Going from the, the Kendall Bryles offense that you've been running and, and having, you know, the, the recruited uh, offense to that style offense and – and trying to do something different, it just it was it was hard to that that Saturday against Mississippi State was hard to watch, man. Dude, I was talking to some Arkansas people that were saying, "Yeah, the worst game I think I've ever been to," and and that's yeah. that's saying a lot when you've lived through the Chad Morris years. Like, well, think that about is, that; it felt to me a lot like those home losses to North Texas, to Western Kentucky. Uh, Western Kentucky, to San Jose State. Like those were games that 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 you felt just. Apathy and apathy is the worst emotion that you can have because at that point in time, it's over with. And I hope that the fan base is not there yet with Sam Pittman. I hope that this was a way to kind of insulate himself a little bit. But um, man, they, they they need to finish up strong here the last month of the season. Hey, you, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. It's going to be an interesting time. Uh, CD, you're the best man. We'll do this again soon. Yeah, for sure, man. Love it. Thanks for having me, Connor. All right, lad of the week. You want to start? Um, sure. Yeah. Um, so my lad of the week was Mizzou punter Luke Bauer. Now, this is a guy who swung what could be Mizzou's season in this game against Kentucky, right? They're down 14-0. Nothing is working for them. They go out to punt. And to understand how insane this moment actually was, um, if you if you guys that don't know what happened, this is gonna be even more of a roller coaster. Um, this is a guy who is a preferred walk-on, did not get recruited, uh, is from the Smith. He basically is just the most random member of Mizzou's roster that plays. That actually has a crucial role in this team. And don't you know it, in this game that could really determine if Mizzou's season starts to get away from him, they call a fake punt. And this dude stands in there and delivers a pass that if Brady Cook had thrown it, to Luther Burden, they might have won the LSU game at the end of it. He executes one of the best fake putts I've ever seen. This guy's like 19 Dime. years old. Dime. It was a dime ski. And I went there and like looked at his back cup because I'm like, okay, like this guy, like, what did this met? There's like kind of a powerhouse in Missouri. Like, did he like play another position? Like, da-da-da. of course he played another position. Kicker, not quarterback, does not have any, <laughs> does not have any risk, like no logical bone in his body. He says, let me just. I'm Peyton Manning for five seconds. So anyway, he hits a, um, a not a special teamer, but like a, a receiver, a guy with some great hands. It was a, definitely a two-man play because it was a contested catch. 
But dude, not only catches the first down, but runs it all the way in. And it is just the most electric play imaginable in that situation. A call that would have just been so classic drink if it didn't go well. Because, you know, you're punting when you're down already. If you screw that up, it's just such an obvious, like, other team has the juice. They go and score. This one's, like, knife motion. It's 21 nothing, And this dude just knows, like, this is my moment. This is my eight mile. I'm going to go in here and just, like, completely delivers, like, this masterful, like, he's going to have a place in Mizzou history, like, no matter what. And he's a guy, like I said, not a super high recruit. Not like his heralded guy. Like it was kind of a shocker, like when he won the job in the offseason and he was a kicker, like in, in high school as well. So it's not like he was like this like punter stud that they were all just like jazzed about. But just want to give him some love because that's like what we talk about with Lab of Week. It's like, hey, it's about, you know, putting in the work. It's about waiting for your turn. And that dude in his moment was just like, this is my moment. All you guys got a front row seat to this. Think about this. How many punters in the history of organized football? have taken the soul out of a visiting stadium for a good reason. Think about that. That is really hard to do, to have the game-changing play in that game, to be able to step up in that moment. Because usually you're not doing that because coaches aren't trusting you to be able to come up with a fake punt in that, in that spot anyways. So you're not really being called upon to kind of dig them out of a, of a rough spot early or something like that. I guess you can make the argument that's kind of the perfect time to call a fake punt. But think about how difficult that is to do. You can cough and corner the best punt of your life. And still, the stadium is going to be like, all right, yeah, but we, we take over on offense. So, yeah, cool. Right. Whatever. Or, like, even if you run for a first down or something like that, it's like, oh, that's, that's a bummer. Defense has to stay on the field. To throw a touchdown pass and to throw a dime the way that he did – that was that was stuff that that punters from coast to coast. I hope we're talking about being like Luke Bauer, man. He was ninth in Marler's quarterback power rankings in the SEC. I said to Marler, <laughs> I you should have had him at six. <laughs> that for a play, dude. I'm taking that guy. Like if we're ever playing pong later in life with a celebrity shot, that's the guy. That guy is ice in his veins. A few SEC quarterbacks have not had a throw as good as Luke Bauer this season, if you know what I mean. Not to name names or anything, but yeah, worth keeping in mind. My lad of the week, talk about staying ready. This guy, the epitome of it, Taz Walker, UNC receiver. This is playing out in, in such a unique way. If you recall, if you stay up to date on this stuff, you know exactly what I'm going to talk about. Taz Walker was told by the NCAA, hey, we don't care that you didn't play a down of football at NC Central in 2020. You still transferred twice. You can't play at UNC this year. And then don't you know what the NCAA is like, hey, maybe you do actually deserve to play upon further examination. Basically, everybody's mocking us. We don't have any perspective whatsoever. We don't really have much of a choice. We're just going to let you play. I think they were going to take legal action too. There was, there was a lot of stuff involved there. You've probably yeah. seen the video of Mac Brown telling him that he was eligible. Quiet game against Syracuse in his debut, and then boom. Second game he plays, he goes off against Miami. He's like, wait a minute. I heard that Connor had UNC as his lock of the week. I got to do right by that guy. And boy, did he. 151 scrimmage yards, three touchdowns. Such a great moment for that kid. Andrea Adelson wrote about this for, for ESPN.com. And if you don't know kind of his backstory, like uh, he became the primary caregiver for his grandma back in high school because his mom was working multiple jobs. He's from Charlotte, about two and a half hours from Chapel Hill, much closer than the seven hours that he would have had to drive to be able to go to and fro when he was at Kent State. His grandma couldn't travel to games there couldn't just pop home on weekends, like during the off season, do that stuff. 
But basically the NCAA was dismissing how Walker had sought mental help while at Kent State. And then again, when he transferred to UNC and they were like, hey, you just left because your coach did. Sean Lewis went from Kent State to go be Dion's OC at Colorado. We think that you're just trying to pull a fast one on us, which even if that was 100% of the reason, it should have still been enough to give him a waiver. It's still, he still should have still been able to go and be like, hey, look, my coach just left. I didn't even play at NC Central. Just, just let me go. Just let me go. But whatever the case, all's well that ends well, I guess. He finally gets to play in the middle of the season. He stayed ready, and UNC is so, so much better for it. Love to see it. They're a scary team to play, man. I would not want to play UNC right now with the confidence that they're playing with. They're going to be a tough out every week in the ACC, and I might have just guaranteed that they're going to lose this week. But um, love the UNC story, and not just because I'm very, very biased towards Chiz. As we talked about at the time, you know, it's good that the NCAA has their priorities uh, correct. Uh, the biggest issue in football here. So I can't tell you how many times I've tried to fool someone by faking a mental health issue and also that my grandmother is late in life and I love her. Uh, those are two things that people often just make up. Uh, so great to great to see they were really on the right side of history there. Um, yeah, that, that this UNC team is just like, that was one of the few teams that was, I feel like, pretty pretty right about as far as they actually could take a step forward and they played really well this year and uh, a funny little wrinkle to my story I told earlier about my buddies my two buddies that I was talking about were both Miami fans so I got to see the, the Eugene master class play out on their phones because LSU was up by so much and I was just like hey can't bet against Chiz so and, and of course Walker I got to watch like pretty good bit enough of his game to think he had a good game without watching much of his game because he had a day he just one thing about Miami is they will make anybody who's got a little bit of juice they will be the coming out party for any like great player um so yeah I mean it's it's uh, a great day for them and like UNC football fans have been through a ton and to start off this year and have this guy be we kind of knew in the preseason when you brought it up and kind of started it out, he probably was slated to be their best receiver coming into the year. Um, and we, <laughs> we saw that. Definitely. Yeah. I, I think that there are a lot of people looking at that ACC championship going, Hey, you know, maybe, maybe UNC is a team that could, that could surprise a, a Florida state in that spot. And they're, they're looking like a more and more complete team, obviously with, with Walker being able to play and Drake may playing a lot better lately too. It's kind of, it's kind of weird to think about South Carolina actually looks pretty good against Drake may in that opener. And the guys that South Carolina has since made look good. Graham Mertz and Will Rogers throwing for over 400 yards in their building. Um, I guess South Carolina should feel really good about not getting totally dominated by Drake may and actually forcing him into some turnovers. Albeit, oh, I see what you're saying. Like their defense. That was like the yeah. best. Well, yeah. The first half against Georgia and then like that game. It's like their defense just ran out of gas like at halftime in Stanford Stadium. <laughs> Definitely feels like that. Uh, if you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can watch every episode of the Saturday Down South podcast, which is presented by Texas Pete. Follow us on the app formerly known as Twitter at the SDS pod at Sat Down South at CJ O'Gara at Go So Hard. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.